Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi, my name is Tom Welling. I played Clark Kent on Smallville, and you are listening to Always Hold On to Smallville. <laughs> Welcome to Always On to Smallville. In this podcast, we talk about each and every episode of the Young Superman show that ran from 2001 to 2011 on the WB and the CW. I'm your host, Zach Moore, and I'm joined this week by, from Always, Hold On to Star Wars, Chris Fuchs. What's up, Chris? Hello there. Ah, Star Wars. <laughs> when did that become a thing? Because right, obviously, obviously, Obi-Wan says that it's his first line in A New Hope. Right, he pulls back the hood. He's like, "Hello there," and then Ian McGregor does it in episode three when he jumps down the General Grievous, and that was a callback. But I feel like at some point over the last, because around when that was not a thing when episode three came out, it was like, "Oh, that's a fun thing." But over the last few years, the internet has made it like his his thing. But I, did he say it on the Clone Wars a lot or something? Or yeah, now I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a whole huge thing because of meme culture. Yeah, and, and gifs. <laughs> I I couldn't tell you when, but I'm I'm enjoying it. Oh, I, I love it. I that's my what I have nothing else to say. I say hello there. <laughs> like, I needed I needed something to be my thing when we introduce on on these shows now. So that's right. So all right, well we are talking about bulletproof. I am not Chris. gonna sing the song though. <laughs> you can. fair enough. That's all right. <laughs> Bullet, bulletproof. This episode, man, I had not much memory of it. I remember that Dan Turpin was in it. I remember that Dan Turpin was, well, the actor was in Smallville before as a different character, several years before. Uh, and I remember Clark goes undercover as a cop. And I remember Marshall Manhunter getting shot and Dr. Hamilton, the second Dr. Hamilton showing up. And that was really the extent of my memory. And boy, oh boy, there's there are some things in this episode that that either they date extremely poorly or they are extremely relevant. And I'm not sure where they fall on that spectrum, but man, rewatching this, I had to like, whoa, <laughs> like you, you probably saw the tweet I made a yes. while back when I was watching it. What did you experience a similar feeling rewatching this episode? Definitely since seeing your, your tweet, but from, <laughs> I try to, rem- <laughs> well, these shows are an escape for me. So when they, when they correlate to the real world, I try to, take myself out of it a little bit, but you right. know, we can only do that so much, especially with how relevant some of these things have come in Smallville based on certain characters and mm-hmm. their real life uh, exposure. But 
uh, you know, I try to take things for what they are in the show. And uh, clearly they, they, they can mean a lot of other different things. But for what it was for this episode, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, art is what you bring to it obviously. So it's, you know, it's, it's the Rorschach test of, of your experiences and what's going on with you. I just like to me, and this is what I said in that, in that tweet a while back as of this recording, because, because I tweeted that like the night I, I watched this episode, I was like, you know, subterranean and this so far, like the two most, like, we're going to try and talk about something important. And I'm like, eh, maybe you shouldn't have <laughs> you know, in that way. Like, I think that, I think the, 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 the idea of this episode is solid. Right, it's like Clark goes undercover as a cop, and 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 there's just you know obviously there's story potential there. I just 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 some of the, some of the things that they like the the lines that they say and the way they say it, I'm like oh, but but we'll we'll talk about that as we go. And you're right, no, this is an escape, right? And that's what this is all about. We're here to have yeah. fun, we're here to have a good time. Um, but sometimes you just can't ignore it when it's so blatantly in your face because you know they're not all bad, Chris. <laughs> for for me, it was more the memory of the episode for what it was when I saw mm. it the first time is. Superman learning from real life people who sacrifice himself who aren't bulletproof like him and the difference that they can make and the sacrifices that they can make compared to the sacrifices he's making. So learning about protecting the people around you, your brothers, as they say frequently in this episode, <laughs> uh, having a family to go home to and wondering yeah. Like how do you, how do you do it to them? And I think that was a lesson that Smallville Clark really had to learn, and tried to apply to Lana. But yeah, that's <laughs> the conclusion of the kept. Now I did remember, <laughs> I do remember the end of uh, uh, decisions he makes, and uh, I was like, oh, it's because we're in we're in the second half of season eight now, Chris. And this whole first half, I've been like, well, you know, the first half of season eight, the first the first half of season first half of season eight, pretty good, and. You know, we're in this stretch of there's no Lois, there's no Jimmy, there's no Davis. That's like a, a big percentage of your regular cast members. And it's like, I don't know, it, it's it, the rules they put on Smallville, right? Like, you can only have Eric Durant for excellent episodes or even Aaron Ashmore, right? Same deal, because these were these were quote unquote... That's a, that's a new buzzword, right? Legacy characters, right? Star, Star Wars, as you know, that's the buzzword. Over, <laughs> I think that's where I first heard that term. When people, well, you know how Disney handles legacy characters. I'm like, legacy? What are you talking about? Legacy characters? But I think we all understand what, what the meaning is. And it's like the, the, and we continue to see it no matter, regimes come and go in Warner Brothers, but this strange approach to like, you can use these characters here, but not there, and only so much here, and then, and, you know, all that stuff is strange. And so we're on this, we had such a great, run of Lois and Clark and their vibe and like the like setting up like what we've all been working towards you know for them on this show they had won me over finally with Lois because they let her be Lois as I've said many times and then she's gone and guess who's back is Lana and that's another huge factor of this episode and this is like I didn't look Bride and even Legion I was like okay Lana's back. We needed to bring her back. Like we needed to address her. She, a Dear John video was not going to cut it to write her off the show, right? Because she was the, depending on you know where people's fandom lies, the second or third most important character on the show. I would put her third after Lex. You know? Yes, I agree. <laughs> but you can't just do that. And you know, she came back, and Christian Grey came back, and and they they addressed in this way. And I was. 
I was cool with it up till about now, <laughs> and we'll th- we'll hash some of that out as we go. Because I think what's funny is Clark he has the right idea, but but he keep like he knows <laughs> he knows better, right? But yeah. unfortunately, he chooses to learn learn the wrong lessons. <laughs> it get, kind of falls back, right? And this is where we start doing our. You know, you went five steps forward with season eight, but now you've gone ten steps back to the point there's even a line in here where like, oh, you look like you're feel like we're 14 again. I'm like, no, it's not what we want, Clark. That's not what we want this season. So because you, you were you were digging season eight up to this point, I assume. Yeah, no, I was, and I still am. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it. Right, uh, right, right. The thing about Lana for me is I'm my fandom is I like I like what they did in the in the 80s reboot with John Byrne where like they were high school sweethearts. He had to go away and do his thing. She understood. She knew the secret and was support for him, but they were never, it was never romantic after that again. And Smallville, she was the love of his life early on. That's fine. But now she's been gone for what are they, does she say in the episode, like seven months or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. I, I'm okay with her coming back and I actually enjoyed it because we can get these closure pieces that Clark wants. I just wish it didn't turn into romantic because even in this episode that calls out Clark and Lois are heading that direction. You know mm-hmm. that that's well, we know as Superman fans that should, <laughs> yeah. should be Endgame, But back in the day, maybe Smallville was going to do something different. But for me, I, I was happy with her. I like her character in this episode other than what it means in relationship to Clark. Fair I enough. Wish, I wish she was just like a friend, just Right. The pass. The well, pass, well, like, the, like they, they have Lana and Clark on Superman and Lois. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, an unfair comparison because that's like, <laughs> you know, twenty years later they figured it out on, on the CW. But yeah, so, so there's there's a lot going on here, right? There's a lot going on here, and let's get into it. Bulletproof. I've sacrificed everything I love for the greater good. What if the rest of the world didn't have to come first? You're talking about killing a man. Life is so precious. To be able to protect that is an amazing gift. Both of us are driven to do this, even if we can't do it together. Smallville, all new episode next Thursday, 8, 7 central on The CW. Bulletproof is the 12th episode of Smallville's eighth season and aired on January 22nd, 2009. It was written by Brian Q. Miller and directed by Morgan Beggs. Brian Q. Miller, this is his second writing credit on the show. He had written Committed earlier this season, and he goes on to be a prolific writer for the rest of the series and goes on to write the Smallville comic book, which which you're pointing at <laughs> your collected Smallville comics behind you. Yeah, I see my show. And, and Brian Q. Miller, like, you know, he, he's a comic book writer as well. So, like, he was, like, this perfect, like, in-between foot in one world, one foot in the other, uh, which the show hadn't had for a while. Like, they had Jeff Loeb, uh, in the earlier seasons, they had Jeff Johns come in, you know, once a season and write an episode in, the, in this last phase of the show. But but someone who had a solid foot on each you know side of things, like the TV Smallville side and the comic book side. And I think that helps. You can definitely see that in this episode when you have deep Superman lore characters like Dan Turpin and Emil Hamilton. And then hints at the future Justice League and their conversations together with yeah. uh, John Jones and Oliver. Yeah, you know, let's let's talk about Dan Turpin real quick. Now, in Smallville, the official magazine, number 32, available wherever books are sold, there's an interview with David Patkow, who played Dan Turpin in this episode. And we'll talk a little bit more about him 
when the, his character appears in the in the episode. But had an interesting factoid here. I did not know when Dan Turpin first appeared in the comic books. He appeared in Detective Comics number 42 in 1942. Is that when he was uh, named Brooklyn? Yes. Yes, yes. Danny Turpin, originally introduced as Brooklyn. Uh, and then he came back as Daniel Turpin in uh, New Gods number 5 in 1971. And that's the that's the version that we know from Superman the Animated Series, for example. I think that's probably his most iconic iteration. Terrible Turpin. Yeah. And yeah, that's all what a what an arc he had on that show, right? Uh I can't wait to see Dan Turpin from Smallville come back when they have Darkseid in season 10, right? Chris, cuz clearly <laughs> he'll come back, right? Well, looking at it as we watched it when the show happened, it, the show the, this episode creates a nice introduction. They have a relationship at the end of the episode. You could foresee maybe down the line when Clark is Superman, and he has his relationship with the Metropolis PD that he's got someone he knows he can trust, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 not the next two years though. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no Maggie Sawyer either, because because they to me I would introduce these characters through Superman the Animated Series. So to me it was yeah. like Dan Turpin, Maggie Sawyer, and when Maggie Sawyer showed up on Smallville, I was like, "Oh, cool! That is an excellent reference." Mm-hmm. And then she was in, uh, sprinkled in, you know, throughout seasons two through seven. And then ironically, you get to season eight where they're in Metropolis and she's she's not on the show anymore. <laughs> it's just the, the timing of things on Smallville, right? You had the right idea, but it just didn't quite align right. You know what I mean? Yeah, mentally from the comics, I associate them together too. I think some of the storylines that they have are great comic runs. All right. And during the ratings watch here in season eight, Chris, for a little context, the previous episode, Legion got 4.29 million viewers and the season premiere odyssey got 4.34 million viewers so one week later bulletproof what do you think the ratings were for this episode following up an episode like legion i would think it maybe went up a little bit i'm gonna say 4.31 you you would think so right that would make sense wouldn't it wouldn't it yeah yeah but that wouldn't be the case Uh. (laughs) 3.85 wow I guess people specifically tuned in for like the Legion and they were like, okay, cool. And then tune back out the next <laughs> week. Uh, Cause that, that's, you know, that's a drop. That's a drop. <laughs> like that, 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 that's a drop. So uh, 3.85 million. Uh, for and there was no break or anything it was the next week. So uh, interesting. Maybe they just, maybe that whole cop story didn't appeal to people who are here for all their superhero action, but, but there you have it. So 3.85 million viewers for this episode. So we get our previously on Smallville. Uh, which which did you watch these when you watch these episodes? So the DVDs have the option, the Blu-rays include it, the Hulu includes it. So do do, do you watch these previously on when you watch the show? I do because I like to see when they point out things that happened in, you know, like maybe three four seasons ago, and they, <laughs> so that then you know this is coming up. Well, I really like this one because it's it's narrated by by Phil Morris at the beginning. He's like previously on Smallville. It's like oh, it's Phil Morris, right? And it establishes mm-hmm. how he. Gave up his powers to uh, restore Clark's powers and kind of what's going on there and how he's a detective now. And so so you're, you're watching and you're like, this is going to be a Martian Manhunter episode. I can't wait. Like, it's, it, but it's, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's, he bookends the episode, but it is like, oh man. And this kind of should not, not that this was ever discussed. Like, I don't know if it was ever discussed because I know for a fact the Flash, Supergirl, and Aquaman were all discussed in various forms, not, not even necessarily. 
you know, as Aquaman proved, not even necessarily mm-hmm. the iterations from Smallville, but it was all like, oh, well, these are characters that have potential that we can maybe spin off. I don't know if that was ever discussed about Martian Manhunter, but and I don't think the CW in 2008 or nine was like the best place to have a, a Phil Morris led detective John Jones show. Right. But I would have right. loved the Law and Order Metropolis with with Phil Morris. Right. Phil Morris and Danny Turpin. <laughs> this is this is your backdoor pilot. There you go. <laughs> this is your cops that you bring in Maggie Sawyer. Like it's all right there for you. It's, it's just you look at it now, like what we've seen happen in the Arrowverse. You're like you would you would circle this, like oh well, this is where they spun off the thing, and and it's you know it's fine. They weren't thinking that way. That doesn't make it bad or anything. It's just like I really loved Martian Manhunter, and during my rewatch of this show, I've discovered that he was a much smaller part than I ever than I ever thought. Because right, he's he's there for some major stuff, but he pops in and out. Yeah, I don't think this is the first episode of his where he's been a main character, but not in most of the episode either. It's, it's well, even trend. like even Prey earlier this season, right? I mean, he was in Odyssey. He was in Prey. So so we're you know we're uh, twelve episodes in. He's been in three. Right? He's been in a fourth of the episode so far. So I'm like, this is his best ratio yet. But even yeah, in Odyssey, he shows up at the very end. And Prey, he kind of shows up to kind of like meet Clark at the crime scene. He's got a couple scenes, then he's like gone until the very end. But I just, I love Phil Morris. I love him from some Seinfelds when I first saw him in. That's <laughs> Jackie Childs, the Johnny Cochran parody character. Who tell you to put the bomb on? Who told you to put the bomb on? <laughs> it's just so good, right? And, you know, he's a character actor. He's been in a lot of Star Trek as well. Uh, so he's, he's, he's a good actor. Like, he's legit. And this guy could have anchored a show, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I, but again, I don't, I don't think the CW <laughs> in 2009 would have been the place for that kind of show. So there was really no place for it. You know what I mean? Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Someday, maybe. <laughs> but we, uh, we cut our first action scene, and it's Detective Jones. He's, he's in his car in a, in a chase with a, with a perp, and we see his little uh, rear view mirror's got a little Martian, huh? Little green alien. That was cute. I like that. Me too. You, nice like, little nod. Like you, people might hear how, what I talk about on the show and be like, Zach probably hated that. No, I actually thought that was charming. <laughs> so Stuff was, like that. It was cute. It was cute, right? So we get this police chase, and it's it, it's pretty cool. I mean, they're they're shooting everything real tight, and then it's, I, I you know I you really don't really need the scope, but it's sure it's the streets of Metropolis. It's the back streets of Metropolis, sure. But this guy gets out of his car. He he's running through the streets, and and John Jones uh, slams him up against the. Uh, fence and then on the ground he says you're under arrest for three counts of murder <laughs> like this guy's serious this ain't no like shoplifting right this guy's a serious serious criminal yeah and john's taking him on by himself which kind of goes to the whole lone wolf discussion they have later about him but detective taking him uh three-time killer down by himself no backup. What, what was really weird to me chris i don't know if you noticed this but like you know after he arrests the guy there's just there's just random like three establishing shots of Metropolis like stock footage and then we cut back and it's like the rest of the cops are there I'm like why was that needed like I didn't passage of time but all you had to do was I think we'd understand you know yeah yeah with the cops the other cops show it was just very someone was watching this and probably felt you know what we need to we need to show some time passing like like you said that must have been it. You want to jump right into the action sequence, so you're not going to do the establishing shots before that. You got to throw them in somewhere. <laughs> I guess that must be what it is, right? Um, but the uh, suspects, you know, he's being put in the in the back of a cop car, and 
And they, they seem to have this real weird attitude. Like these cops have a real weird attitude towards uh, John Jones, don't they, Chris? Foreshadowing. So you're like, okay, what's going on here? I'm sure this will pay off. And it immediately does because uh, Martian Manor, he, get, he gets shot like immediately after this. Like straight to the heart. Yeah. Like they were shooting to kill. And uh, there's, a, there's a reveal you pull back and it's a reveal of the guy with a rifle and then a Metropolis PD badge. And Is that, that... A Superman shield? <laughs> See, that's that's the thing, right? Like you're being too cute, Smallville. Like you, you didn't Metropolis PD didn't even have a Superman. You I mean, know, it's it's pentagon. a common shape. It's a, no, no, the octagon is a common shape. The the pit the pit they're, they're the all common. Is not. <laughs> you know, I laugh about the uh, octagon being a common shape. Just side note. Um, my kid, when he was like two or three, knew what an octagon was, and it shocked me. And then come to find out, it was from like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. But the first time he said octagon, and I'm like, "How do you know what an octagon is?" And my first thought in my head is Smallville. Smallville. It's, it's a common shape. All that Smallville you were watching when he was a, a kid, just osmosis yeah. <laughs> into his brain. It's my own fault. But you think you know you're you're watching this, and you're like, "Oh, you, you see John Jones, and he's bleeding on the street." Right, and then you see the the reveal of the Metropolis PD badge. You're like, oh, we're gonna da 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 da. Somebody said you're waiting, but no, I thought you, so. <laughs> you, it's so interesting to rewatch these episodes that I don't remember that well, and like anticipate mm-hmm. that, and then they're like, whoa, we're we're not, we're still going. <laughs> it, it just seems like such an obvious place, but no, that's not what we do. We we cut from there to the hospital. So we got a hospital visit uh, plus one, and uh, I'll take I'll just take a screenshot of of these of these files that uh, Clark and Lana are, are talking about, but. She's there to bring him coffee after work. And he's like, after work, he's lost all track of time. Right. But this is what what did you think of this? uh, This meetup at the hospital between them. Goes to show he's even Lana can't break his uh, focus on work right now, I guess. Uh, In the past, Lana would have been everything. Now he's got something that's a little more important that she's going to move back into the to its focus again soon, but right now, work is important. Well, Marshall Manhunter even said it in his previous episode on Prey. He's like, you're obsessed. You need to find a better balance here, and that's true. But Clark, I, I can well, relate he, to this. Clark is a guy of extremes. <laughs> so he's like, either all doing this, or he's, he's all focused on Lana. There's no in between for this guy. We'll get there at the end, but he says he's been sacrificing everything for the greater good <laughs> up until this point. Everything. Lana's a fan of the new look for Clark. I yeah, I was just tie. about to go there. You must be turning heads left and right. Well, he didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Lana, you can't be saying that. Like, to your, you're, you're meeting up with your ex who you were in love with, and you had a horrible set of circumstances that led to you being ripped apart from each other, and you're going to come back in here with this kind of dialogue? Mm-mm. You okay. wonder what her motivations are right now. Well, we know what her motivations are. She wants to, she wants to be him. And uh, take Lex down, and that's priority number one. But right. she's kind of she's kind of getting uh, pulled back into it. She's staying longer than she planned on. She's having coffee meetups, so clearly she's a little bit conflicted herself. Well, she she's uh, sticking around uh, to to maybe see what happened to uh, the creature that took Chloe. Because even though there's no Doomsday or Davis Bloom for a while, uh, Lana's going to remind us of that plot line. And, sure, and Cl- that's it. Cl- Clark does mention, yeah, that's that must be right. But he mentions that a night watchman and two ambulance ambulance drivers uh, were were um, murdered the night of uh, Chloe and Jimmy's wedding. So that that 
you know, we saw that happen, uh, unfortunately. But didn't know about the two ambulance drivers. Like, damn, Davis, he was on quite a, quite a, I guess that was the two bodies in those trash bags that it, that he took to, to the dumpster. But uh, Lana's like, I should probably leave you to it. And uh, next round's on Clark. And then Clark, it's just, this is a little contrived because Clark is just in the lobby of the hospital as they happen to be wheeling in John Jones. What did you think of this? Yeah, you're getting you're getting cornered. Well, maybe because it was a it was an ambulance driver. He was looking at records. Sure, contrived for sure, but not the worst that Smallville's ever done. <laughs> well, it just it, to me it was like, talking about the the structure of the episode. Like, if I were to re-edit this episode, I would have cut the opening credits with the reveal of the badge, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like, it the, we there's no new stakes. The only new stakes now are like, oh, well, now Clark knows about it. So we cut the opening credits. We come back and we're in the same location and Clark's like still in the same spot looking through the window. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, I don't I don't know why they structured it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, they wanted they wanted an early Clark and Lana scene and they had to find a way to give it to you. Well, but it would have been fine like after the opening credits, I think. True. You know what I mean? Like that that's my deal. But but we hey, we got our first appearance of Dr. Emil Hamilton. Chris, the second Dr. Hamilton on the show. Does he have any lines in this episode? I can't remember. He does. Uh, have a, have a have a, a smattering of lies throughout this episode, but it's not it's not like a strong character inter- introduction here for him. He's just kind of in the background. And w- when you cast a guy like Alessandro Giuliani, uh, who is in Battlestar Galactica, did you ever watch BSG, Chris? I have not. Oh, it's so good. The new it's one. on my list to go back at some so point. He he is one of the many 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 Battlestar Galactica alumni who are on Smallville. He played Mr. Gata for several years on the show uh, before this. Yeah, and so it was funny. I'm like, oh, it's Gata. He's on. He's on Smallville, and of course, he's the second Doctor Hamilton because we had Doctor Stephen Hamilton mm-hmm. in the first couple seasons. And that at that time, we thought, oh, this is their version of that guy. But as Smallville continues on and on, and they're like, oh, well, we already did that character, like Supergirl. <laughs> uh, let's do her again, but with, with a more accurate version ish. And that's what we're getting with with uh, Doctor Hamilton here. You know, Oliver comes in just to kind of check out what's going on, and and. Uh, Clark's like, well, oh my God, we got to get him out of there. They're not going to know what they're doing. And Oliver's like, oh, because he's Martian? <laughs> I'm like, when? When was this information shared? I think that's the point. It wasn't because Clark's shocked that they're working together, that he yeah. knows of him. Maybe after uh, maybe after John Jones saw that he was close with Clark, he took advantage. Well, he did. Oliver does mention that... that uh, Marshall Manhunter's got him out of him uh, a few tight scrapes with the police, which is interesting. And then some good continuity here because Oliver's like, you know, I figured after I got poisoned, I figure we guys like us should have a, a specialist on on call, which which is a smart thing, and that and that's ultimately what Doctor Hamilton is. Well, he's got that tech guy in the plane on call too now, right? You know, <laughs> Wi-Fi, bro. <laughs> he's expanding the team. That's smart though. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is there ever a Star Labs in Smallville? If there is, it's a passing comment, but I can't think of anything. I remember they mentioned Cadmus Labs. Like they mentioned that in season For one, sure. and then it comes back in a big way in season ten, obviously with the clones. But like Star, it's funny how like Star Labs in the, in the comics, like that's where Doctor Hamilton is, and then you know I believe in the in the DCAU that's Star Labs as well, and he's like Superman's like scientist guy, and then you know. Lois and Clark was a huge thing. Yep, yep. Dr. Klein, the last couple of years of the show. Um, but but Star Labs just it's kind of more become a flash thing. Because not only mm-hmm. the not only the the 
Arrowverse Star Labs, obviously. But even in the 1990 The Flash show, there was Star Labs. <laughs> and so it's 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 cool how it's like this DC comic thing. Uh, but it's just I would have I'm kind of shocked that Smallville never had a a Star Labs. Yeah, me too. I I want to I'm sure I would guess that they probably made a passing comment at some point. Well, you'll have to keep an eye out. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye out. And if we missed it already, I'm sorry. And please leave it in the comments. <laughs> but uh, but he, Clark, Clark, he mentioned, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, John Jones, he, he wanted to meet uh, with me after shift to talk about something. And it's like, <laughs> was he going to meet you at the hospital? Because <laughs> that's, that's kind of convenient. Did they ever get to what he wanted to talk to him about? No, I, I believe I believe it was this. Okay. Was this whole situation, probably. But I do like this is where we see like kind of the the clashing ideologies of Clark and Oliver. He's like, if he had never get sacrificed his powers to uh, for me to save me, then he wouldn't be in the situation. And Oliver's like, yeah, now you're guilty. I know that's your whole thing, but you know, let's let's move past that and let's actually get to work here. So I, I like that vibe between them. Yeah, I like especially when Oliver does it when he puts him in check about things like that. Because he can relate himself. I'm sure he's done things as the Green Arrow that have put himself in similar situations, but understanding that you need to rise above that. You can't blame yourself, can't retreat back and say, this is my fault. Just go do something about it. And to your point about this being kind of proto-Justice League forming discussion, Oliver's like, you know what? Uh, Let's face it, teamwork has never really been our thing. So you go follow your leads, I'll go follow my leads, and then we'll just meet up later. And like, come on, y'all! Like, you you were stronger together, <laughs> okay? And then yet you're you're just doing your own thing. Um, and, but that, well, that shows you the the fractured nature of of whatever is left of the Justice League at this point of the show. Yeah, and wasn't it just earlier this season they were supposed to go off into hiding on their own, and then Oliver stays in Metropolis? Yeah, I think that was their way of saying, okay, we this is not a Justice League show. <laughs> So we have to find a way. We got to get rid of the others, but we're going to keep Green Arrow because he's a series regular. That that was what's so funny. Like, well, now that that Lex and Tess and all these people know our identities, we have to disperse. I'm like, Lex knew who Aquaman was since day one. (laughs) But you know what I mean? All three of them. He knew who Aquaman, he knew Cyborg. Yeah. Flash. Flash. (laughs) Impulse. (laughs) That's right. I'm going to call him Flash. But uh, but yeah, we... um, we cut to uh, Luther Mansion and a uh, great shot of that Veritas window, by the way, in the, in the, in the first shot of the scene. And we have um, Tess doing some uh, karate with uh, with an instructor. Uh, Akita or something like that? Yes, yes. As Lana is intimately familiar with, uh, based off her Chung Lee journey she's been on uh, when she's off screen. I say that because that's what she left Smallville to go do, so it does apply been joking about that for years we'll talk about that more in detail in our in our next episode on, on power but uh you know lex had fencing right and pool and tess has martial arts that's that's so good like i'm glad it's tess not there fencing someone or playing on the pool table like she needs to have her own angle and they've been doing a great job making her uh, a new a shade of lex yeah but i think she needs to put an upgrade into the mansion i mean like lex used like to use his fight scenes and his study in his library, they kind of have like a little gym section, right? In a mansion. I've mentioned do this a couple of times. I, like it this. is in, in season one, I feel like they used to redress the mansion more often. Like there would be different rooms. Uh, the one I think of is Shimmer, right? Where there's like the, all those paint and all that stuff is like the war room. And like it was clearly this set, but it was redressed a little bit where it looked like a different room. And you know what? It's a mansion. It's the same house. I buy that a lot of the rooms look the same. So that's fine. But like, at least, to, to your point, make some attempt 
that there is some other room than this one, the library or, like, or the hallway. That's the only two rooms we see now, Chris. Or the bedroom. We do see the bedroom quite frequently now. Uh, but at least <laughs> I'm they not made... complaining about that. <laughs> <laughs> at least they made an effort early on. Even even so, the room where he kept the Porsche and had it all recreated. Like, the whole room was dark, so you couldn't see walls or if it was an actual room or not. But they made an attempt to show they had another larger room. And that right? became his secret Clark room, you know. Yeah. That could have been the, the gym. Yeah. Put just some equipment so... in there. Oh, and... You know what? There is... Um, zero in season one. He's out there with like a, a punching bag, right? This where he ends up being hung upside down and all that. It's like, oh. it's just more scope. But they had more of a budget then, you know? Yeah. So this is season eight. And we get this, you know, we get one one square block of Metropolis. <laughs> we get one room in the mansion. Everyone has to still live with the Talon, you know? So this, this is what we're dealing with here. But um, this is a meeting of, of, uh, of Tess and Lana here. Lana Lang in the flesh, right? The, the enigmatic Lana Lane. Yeah, and uh, you're everything Lex said you'd be, right? So, so Ted, it's so funny when she meets these characters. I'm like, you know, Lex told me all about you. I'm like, come on, <laughs> that's uh, like she says it to Clark, she says it to Lana. You know what I mean? Well, that's gonna really come to a head this episode later on. <laughs> it is. Uh, she, she, yeah, you know, she says like, you, you tamed a Luther. High marks uh, from the woman entrusted with the Luther legacy, and that's that's the thing, right? Like, I, I don't think they needed to make Tess his sister. But it does make a lot of this make a little more sense. Yes. And also makes it a little more interesting for how she views Lex right now. Especially in this episode. This is the scene. I've been talking about this scene this whole show. We'll, we'll get to it. But but she didn't know. No. But I, I think more so being a Luther was for a relationship with Lionel with mm-hmm. uh, on Earth 2 or when they get to Ultraman, those type of situations yeah now lana is there to uh kind of call Tess out on on the the prometheus project it's funny we're covering season eight of smallville right now as as the guys on always on arrow are covering season five <laughs> talking about talking about prometheus hey i think i think arrow did prometheus better than smallville i'm just gonna throw that out there do we have you should have kept that to yourself <laughs> don't <laughs> don't give them more credit It'll go to their heads <laughs> But uh, she she's there to tell Tess that she knows that Lex is alive and she's siphoning money into this Prometheus project, and uh, she wants to know where where Lex is, right? Because this is this is the thing. Like even though she's you know she's back and this is like the new Lana, this is very similar. And they bring it up like in you know the next couple episodes. Uh, Clark brings it up. Good on you, Clark, for remembering this and the show for having continuity. Like. You know, Lana, last time she got power, she kind of went after Lex for revenge. <laughs> she's kind of still, it's kind of still her thing, right? That's what she's here. The only reason she is here is to find out where Lex is in order to, you know, well, I don't know, was she going to kill him? I don't know what she's going to do to him, but it's not going to be positive. Well, and you find out as soon as she walks out that she also had an ulterior motive for this meeting. Yes. So not- what is she doing here? Is she Is she fishing for information, hoping, hey, maybe Tess will just actually tell me where Lex is maybe. while I also steal this. Prometheus information. You, you know what's funny is, uh, you know what Tess drops on Lana? She says, you don't know Lex like I do. <laughs> it's like, are you... I. That's the last... Honestly, that's the last person you tell that to. Lana, Lana Lang knows Lex Luthor more than any... On this show, right? Um, and but, if she knew of Lana as much as she apparently did from Lex, she would know that Lana probably does know Lex better than you, maybe. You might not want to admit it, but... Lex has told Tess a lot about Lana, so 
I've heard all about you. Yeah. And a lot of, like she even tells her, like, look, I I was you. I've been you. I've seen I've used to defend Lax all the time. Like I and she's so yeah, I, to your point, I think two two maybe three motivations. One, she's like, maybe Tess will just tell me. <laughs> maybe she won't. Maybe well, I, I can turn this woman around because obviously she's on the wrong path, right? I've been on that path, I can relate. And the other is to use these magic Wi Fi powers from uh, <laughs> that that Oliver's guy on the plane had <laughs> just to just steal their files and corrupt them. That's not how the force works, Chris. <laughs> and I think it just essentially turns into Tess wants to make it a pissing contest. And Lana's taking the high ground here because she has an ulterior motive. Yeah. But oh, we get to Chloe's one scene this episode uh, because Chloe's Allison in the episode. Mack is, yeah, Chloe's in this episode. Allison Mack is, is, is prepping to uh, direct the next episode power. So usually when when actors direct the next episodes, they, they have no scenes or very limited scenes uh, the, in the previous episode. So they have more time, time to prepare. And, that, and that's fair. She doesn't have a lot of time. All right. Because she's got to you know get get back to get back to taking care of Jimmy and, and Star City. <laughs> With Lois, with with Lois, who who okay, like you mentioned it at the, at the top, right? But it's like okay, so Lois left to be with Jimmy because obviously Chloe was gone, right? Fair, fun, fair, right? Now Chloe is back. <laughs> there is no Lois, and then Lois is still gone. Obviously, she's upset about Clark and Lana. <laughs> you know, welcome to Chloe's life, Lois. There's- by the way. Listen, this is this is how she does things. Last time she ran off to like what a monster truck rally in Houston or something. Oh, uh, El Paso, I think. <laughs> but yes, in Texas. Uh, then she goes to Africa in season ten. So this is, I guess, this is how she copes. She yeah, just she runs, runs away. away. Oh man, she plays a pulls a Luke Skywalker, Chris. So. <laughs> <laughs> but is it was um. It is disappointing because in some episodes there are deleted scenes when like characters think they're dead or missing and they reunite like like in Gone in season four like there's a whole scene where you know Chloe and Lana get back together and and there's a whole and there's another scene at the beginning of like season seven I think Del- they're deleted scenes I'm like well you should have put these in here they're kind of important this they don't even make an attempt of like I wonder what Lois thought about Chloe coming back right this is like come on y'all like you're supposed to be handling Lois better than you were but now she's gone again. Even even the writers get blinded by Lana being back. <laughs> They're like, well, I guess I don't know what to do. Uh, Chloe just dropped an eye-rolling Our Favorite Martian reference. Like, who who is that for? Like, I know what My Favorite Martian is because, like, I kind of happen to like older TV and it was, like, on, you know, these black and white reruns of channels. But I'm like, who knows what that is anymore, right? M- more adults watching the show back in 2000. 2000- <laughs> Early 2000s. Why would you reference that really bad early 2000s a movie with uh, Christopher Lloyd? <laughs> because Smallville has to pump every pop culture reference into Chloe and Jimmy's language. It's exhausting. <laughs> I, and I look, we love this show, right? But you, yes. we, when you know, when I watch this show and like are taking notes and analyzing it, and then I like I just go watch other shows just for fun, and I'm like, it's so refreshing to not hear people try to squeeze in some sort of pop culture reference every other line. You know, there should be one one character like the Cisco on the Flash. I think him and Felicity, early early Felicity and Arrow, they were like the perfect versions of that because you contain it. I'm like, oh, okay, but that's it, this character's thing. But sometimes it's just too much, Chris. They would do it in situations that applied. Like if you had a meta that had something that sounded like out of a comic book and they referenced a comic book or whatever like that. Or it's it like quantum leap, it, Ooh, right? That kind of thing. It wasn't just an everyday conversation talking about normal things. 
which is maybe why it stands out a little bit more. Because yeah, a, a pop culture reference in a perfect situation, you want to give that Captain America meme. I understood that reference. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff is cool. But when it's when it's in a full sentence that should just be basic conversation, yeah. it stands out a little more. <laughs> and, and I don't believe for a second that Chloe and Clark ever watched My Favorite Martian. But, uh, no, especially I- not Clark. <laughs> I do like how she is like, man, I miss being Brainiac. Like as far as like the computer speed, because that's that would be a logical like feeling for her to have after being so like super powerful and uh, as far as computer goes, and then having to like it's like having high speed internet and then being reduced to dial up, right? Yeah, and Clark gives her a little look, and she's like, I know, I know, but like you you would miss that. Anybody would miss that. It's like you not having your powers anymore, Clark. <laughs> Think about that, right? Skipping ahead a little bit here and looking at other. Chloe and Lana just sharing Isis and the talent now. Lana has money, right? Lana has her <laughs> settlement from the one of the richest men in the world. She can afford what, a hotel room. That is true because yeah, because Lana it seems to be staying at the Talon again. Uh which which is okay because Chloe is not there right now. But this is all is this Chloe is not, not very well Chloe's defined. Chloe's not there either right now. But she's in Star City taking care of Jimmy. Oh, true. true. And then Lois got her own apartment because she got that raise, which we never see that place, by the way. Um. So yeah, they're yeah they're just. I okay. There's an open room. Take advantage. There should be an apartment above the ISIS Foundation. And that's the thing, right? Because ISIS was Lana's thing, and Lana was right. gone. I'm like, well, we don't. And then and then they made Lois Chloe's like they <laughs> they took Chloe's Daily Planet thing away from her. And gave it to Lois. I'm like, well, what do we do with Chloe? Well, I don't know. Lana had this ISIS thing and she's gone. We have this set. I guess we'll have Chloe do that. But now Lana's back and it, right, it's weird how they're both like, because there's right, so multiple we, scenes of them in all these episodes of them both in the secret room doing the thing that it's interchangeable. The, writers, the Smallville writers got together and said, we're going to bring Lana back. So she's going to take this from Lois and this from Chloe. <laughs> and then she's yeah. going to take, take, she's going to be the superhero. She's going to get the powers. She's take that taking, from Clark. <laughs> taking everything. She took Clark from Lois. She took Isis from Chloe. And she took all the powers from Clark. It's crazy. Oh, man. Well, you know, speaking of all this, uh, Chloe's like, so how are things now that Lana is back in your orbit? And Clark's like, it's not like that. I think. (laughs) (laughs) This is so strange to me because she's very aware. She's like, yeah, you know, when you're in the triangle here, it sucks. I've been in that third point on y'all's triangle. And uh, don't hurt my cousin, right? I'm like, this is, it's very messy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I get Clark's point. Like, how do you just stop loving someone? And he never really had the closure to, but Chloe makes a good point. Like, he's going to he's gonna hurt Lois and all this because they were getting close. And you can't deny that they weren't. Even Clark can't say that they weren't. <laughs> they were They were right about to kiss. But you know, seeing Lana come back, Chris, it's like she never left. So it's that like makes it okay. Again. <laughs> that makes, and out of sight, out of mind, right? Because Lois isn't even around. Like if he had to go to work every day and sit across from Lois and he's still doing this, it'd be a much worse look on him, right? But it's still not. It's still not a great look. Like if these are your real friends in the real world, right? Think about this. And you saw, you saw, like you've seen this, their vibe happening. You saw them about to kiss at this wedding. And then immediately, like, his ex comes back in town and he's taking over with her. He'd be like, Clark, you're an ass. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. And they, and they would call him out a little more harshly than Chloe is. Yeah. Especially considering it's her cousin. 
This is your your best friend in the world, but I guess Lana is your other best friend in the world. So you're in <laughs> you're in a tough spot too. You know, but you know what? She's married now, so maybe she's not as invested in this as she as she used to be, right? Not invested personally, but she should. I you think she'd be a little more? She's like saying, "Don't don't slam Lois in the door." You think she'd be a little more defensive of Lois than Lana because she knows how Clark sees Lana. Well, that's that's the problem. The show needs us to root for this, even though it's the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, that's that's the issue, right? If anyone in here was like, you know, McCart, maybe you shouldn't do this, and the audience would be like, you know what? They're right. Maybe he shouldn't be doing this. And then they would derail what they're trying to do with, with Lana and him here. But um Give him credit for addressing that it that it is a thing and acknowledging that there's something there rather than just denying it all. Yeah. At least they addressed it. Right. I mean, you, you, my other rant would have been like, I can't believe they didn't even mention that. So they are mentioning <laughs> it. But yeah, that, that's where we are. But, you know, during this conversation, you know, uh, Chloe's running all this data on, uh, on what happened to John Jones. And they find there's an armor piercing bullet. And it's missing from evidence. So it must be an inside job, Chris. What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's funny that they mention it's an armor piercing bullet when later on there's a lot of talk about make sure you wear your vest. <laughs> That's, because that's great. If you're wearing your vest, armor piercing would go through it. Well, the thing is, these guys protect their own, so it's not going to be easy to get past that thin blue line. You get it? <laughs> <laughs> it's why it stands out because it's it's another reference that didn't need it to be added like I look i use a lot of pop culture references in my life but i know there's a time and a place right i'm not i'm not quoting star wars when we're talking about like so how did your chemotherapy go <laughs> right you know what you know what i'm saying it's just like there, there's a time and a place you know anyway but uh it's it's the 44th precinct right and uh hey good on them it's uh they put some signage up you know and it's it's a i can't immediately identify what Location this is, I'm sure it's just somewhere on the back lot. But we see all these cops, and we see enter Detective Dan Tur- or Officer at this point, Dan Turpin, because he's a young guy, Dan Turpin. Yeah, and- I liked I liked the reveal here. He walks out, and he's meeting a new partner, and I mean, essentially, you don't really know what was going to happen, but then you get the pan to the the badge, and then it's Clark turns around. Clark, he's Joe. Joe Fordman. Yeah, Joe Foreman. Do you like that as his uh, as a pseudonym here? Sure, why not? I mean, Joe is the name his dad used when he was walking around Earth. <laughs> yeah, his, and uh, Lana's back. So, thinking of all things, Lana, her <laughs> ex boyfriend's <laughs> last name. You think that's where he got? That's why Foreman was on his mind. I like well, that where, was... where else are you going to get Foreman? Well, that is like he's paying tribute to like his fallen friend, right? Um. And then Joe for you know the 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 uh, Americanization of Jorel. <laughs> I don't know if that's what he was thinking there. Maybe he just picked a common name, but we we see it as that because I of... like that. I like that he I like that he picked that you know as as a pseudonym. I, I thought that was cool. He he should have gone. Uh, if he wanted to go full on X's, he should have been Jason Ford, <laughs> Whitney Teague, the newest officer. Um, but it's a cool reveal, right? Because obviously. You, 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 like you said, it's it's a slow reveal. Like the guys are walking out. Hey, ready to meet your new partner and ready to go save the world, right? Ah, nice. Uh, and then uh. and then it's Clark. Now, this is cool, but he needed glasses here, Chris, didn't he? 
<laughs> right? Well, he needs glasses when he's working the Daily Planet. Well, be that's beside the point. I'm just looking for anything at this point for him to wear some glasses on. Maybe some sunglasses here. <laughs> it's a typical cop look at the sunglasses. I just thought, like, man, like, if Clark's going undercover, right, in disguise, that's a perfect time to bring out some glasses. And I thought it was a missed opportunity. But again, I, I, I wonder what it's going to be like when they get to this place in Talkville. If I'm ever on an episode this late in the show, I'm definitely going to ask Tom, like, so the glasses. Because <laughs> I have a feeling that, like, he just didn't want to wear them. Like, he thought they weren't cool or something. Like, I, that's my vibe on the whole thing. Or maybe it was the higher-up saying, we can't, have, we can't have our sex symbol star wear glasses. Right? It was a different world back then in 2009. Yeah, my, my bet would be more on he probably didn't want to wear them. Uh, just speaking from, I mean, I wear contact lenses all the time because I don't want to wear glasses, but just speaking from Halloween costumes, when you have to wear glasses and you don't need them, it's kind of a, kind of a pain, I guess. Listen, Clark is sacrificing everything for this, Chris. <laughs> for the greater good. <laughs> so let's talk about our guest star, David Patkow. Now, he was in Hothead. All the way back in season one. And in Smallville, the official magazine, number 32, as I said earlier, he has an interview. And he says, quote, I tested for the Whitney Fordman role. And Hothead was episode three, so maybe they remembered me. I have a couple of distinct memories because some of that was filmed on 9-11. It was an interesting day on set, to say the least. Everyone was concerned about what was going on. So it was a really bad day for everyone. Suddenly, the show wasn't that important. And that's interesting because you hear them talk about that on Talkville a lot, especially in season one. Like John Schneider brings it up, and Rosenbaum and Welling are always talking about how like Hothead was filmed on nine eleven. That was a, that was a big thing, and that makes sense that he was you know in the running for Whitney, and like okay, we didn't get that. Well, hey, we'll, we'll throw you a guest star part of a member of the football team. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's one of those events that happened in this world. That if you live in this country, it's one of those you always remember where you were. Oh yeah, when that happened. So you could just imagine if you're a working actor and. He's probably had tons of roles in other shows, but you remember this one guest appearance because of the significance of that event. I could see the I could see him testing for Whitney. He's got the look. He could have he could have done a good job there too. Eric Johnson's gone on to do much bigger things now too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey. Did you ever watch Alcatraz? No, I haven't seen that. That was a fun show. It, it was like a half-season show. It ended on a cliffhanger and it got canceled because it was a sci-fi show on Fox. Shocker. But he was in an episode of that, uh, which is pretty good. And then uh, he was Flash Gordon on the Sci-Fi Channel. So he's he's continued to work. So, mm-hmm. And we know this actor here who played Dan Turpin's continued to work because we see him later on in a uh, nice little movie called Man of Steel. <laughs> we do. Is he the one that says Superman in tow? Yes. That, that, the alien. That's what they're calling him. Superman? So he, he essentially gives him the name Superman, right? I've been Martian Manhunter for 40 years on this planet. No one's given me a cool name. <laughs> anyway, that well, talk about that. We, we didn't even mention, you know, uh, we, <laughs> Dr. Hamilton. Oh, well, we can talk about it more later, but like he's in scenes with Dr. Hamilton and Man of Steel. Anyway, <laughs> so many Man of Steel. It's just an insane amount of uh, small actors. You wonder if they had any conversations uh, Alessandro Giuliani and I'm sorry, Dan Turpin's actor name is uh, David escaping me. Patkow. David Patkow. You, they were in the same episode of Smallville, but they probably never interacted. 
they were probably on set different days just because they didn't have any scenes together. Yeah. So maybe they're on Man of Steel talk-ins. Like, hey, we were on Smallville together. <laughs> Him and, uh, I can't, God, I can't remember. Tam Hill Pickett, who was Hilo on Battlestar Galactica. Uh, he was on Arrow. He's the guy that killed Huntress's uh, fiance. Um, he was in two episodes of Smallville as two different characters as this guy was as well. He was in Prototype, and then he was in Season 3 in Resurrection. Same deal. He was an army guy in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. He puts Lois in that, like, <laughs> closet. Well, what's the rule? Uh, we've heard it talked about somewhere. There's a rule, like, it has to be a certain amount of seasons between your character when you can You know, I've heard that, but I don't think that's... A, I think that's the general rule, but I've, there's people that have appeared, like, much closer together on Smallville as well. So, but basically like if you're, if you're, I'm, I'm shocked that the guy who played the chief on Battlestar Galactica was not in the man of steel or at least BVS. Cause he was, he was in BSG. He works up there. He was in two episodes of Smallville as two different characters, many years apart, much like these guys. So, uh, but I don't have like the complete list or anything. I think, I think at some point when Rosenbaum was reading off some, some stats, like he's like, 31 people were in Smallville were man of steel or something like something like but some absurd, highly high number. Cause it's not just, I mean, we're talking about, you know, actors with dialogue, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I'm sure there were so many background actors who was who was shared in the production as well. Well, it just gives us uh able to give all these fan theories. Like when we talk about Star Wars, for example, you see Andy Circus. He plays Well, he's totally Snow. I, I that's not even a joke anymore. I think I I I was messaging you about that, you guys. And I was like, you in Mandalorian, we're like, well, we have our, our volunteer test subject. <laughs> well, we know who that is. <laughs> it's Kino Loy, and they're gonna combine it with a Grogu blood, and he's gonna become Snoke. Hey, it's all there. <laughs> so anyway, his his interview with Smallville the magazine, he says, quote, uh, I went in and read for it, but I wasn't sure how Smallville would look at my resume since I'd already been on the show. What I didn't realize about Danny Turpin is that he is established in the DC universe. I had no idea that he was this grizzled, gruff cop and his character was established about 30 years ago. I didn't know that until the fourth day of shooting. So I guess the writers are putting all these DC characters in. Yeah, so on the fourth day of shooting, he probably realized with characters and thought, hey, I'll be back again. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to be a recurring character. But uh, this is what he had to say about working on the episode. Quote, Smallville is a great set. The crew gets along so well, and Tom is an amazing guy. Everyone is nice, loose, and relaxed. They're confident. As for Justin and Tom, those guys are tall. They're fun and have a nice rapport. Justin has a lot of energy, and Tom is clearly the leader of that show. So to quote Talkville again, like John Schneider says, be the horse. <laughs> be the horse, Tom. <laughs> anyway, that's cool, though. You know, he's a good experience on the show, bringing people back. You know, I, I think that, that is cool, and it's fun for us. And, you know, maybe this guy changed his name, and he really was the same guy from <laughs> from season one. He well, just didn't he, recognize he Clark went, because yeah, he was he under a different high name. School. <laughs> Had Clark been wearing the glasses, he wouldn't have recognized him, Chris. There you go. This put it all tied together. Anyway. It just fits. When they first get in the car and they start driving through the streets of Metropolis, they come around a corner. And I don't know if it's just they were trying to give an edgy look. I swear there's a street worker, uh, I, like a girl. About 100%. A, she's wearing like a mini skirt with boots, right? They did that in Smallville on the CW. <laughs> well, it was very subtle. But it's to show you how bad things have gotten in Metropolis, yeah. I guess. They have the conversation in the car, and you you think he was describing Gotham City. How this bad is Metropolis this is very is. Batman Begins, right? Where Rachel's driving Bruce around. Mm-hmm. I, that's the vibe I got. I mean, they're in a car. <laughs> so, 
maybe that's no, really. I mean, they the talk is essentially throughout the episode the justice system doesn't always work, but we do. We get the streets. Yeah, they control the courts, but we control the streets. We'll get to that in, in a minute. But uh, you know, old Clark's from Coast City allegedly, which is a cool Green Lantern reference. Yeah, uh, more comic book lore. He should have gone by like. This is Detective Hal Jordan. <laughs> I don't know what, what the captions were thinking. Every time uh, when I watched with the captions, every time it came up, it said Cove City. I don't really? I, I think it's just, uh, you know, the trying to... The algorithm could not uh, hear... No, people need to proofread those algorithms yeah. okay, for the clo- for the closed captions. But uh, I like how Clark's like, oh, this is a nice car. He's like, ah, oh, you got a sense of humor. That's good. Because <laughs> he doesn't know what else to say. But, uh, but, but what is... Cool about this Dan Turpin is it's something that tracks from the comic Dan Turpin is he doesn't trust the superheroes. He's like, yeah, these costume vigilantes running around. We got this green arrow and this red blue blur, and like and, he uh, he's not a fan. Of them. The great... there you <laughs> I go. love that line. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. So, but it's interesting to get uh, get Clark's perspective on this. He's like, so you think they do more harm than good? And Turpin's like, well, what I know is cops have rules and they don't, right? So he has some sense of morality, which gets tested shortly in this episode. So it's always nice when you see superheroes being able to learn lessons like that when they're getting a different perspective because they people don't realize they're talking to them. So yeah. Clark Clark can learn a lesson here and see a perspective that he couldn't get before. That's why secret identities are important, Chris. <laughs> I also like how they keep calling uh, they keep calling the superheroes capes, but. Uh, Green Arrow's wearing a cape once, and uh, Clark says, "I'll never wear a cape." Right? That is true. Not in the, not in this lifetime. <laughs> Calling them capes—that's a good—that's a good point. Which which heroes are you referring to? Aquaman, uh, Black Canary? No. I mean, he, for all they for all, of all for all they cape. know the. For all they know, the red blue blur could wear a cape. Maybe that's what you're seeing, but yeah, maybe that's what they think, right? But you know, the, the junkies are hitting up the pharmacy again, right? So it's just another day in Metropolis, broad daylight. You're at this guy's, is, he's running. This is actually something else that David uh, Pacquiao talks about in, in his interview. Uh, this chase scene, he says, quote, one of the stunt guys in the camera rehearsal was doing the run and he felt pretty hard because it was slippery. It was a nervous time. The last thing you want to do is slip, fall in the camera, look like an idiot, and get hurt. <laughs> so as a camera guy myself, I can relate to this. Like, you never want to fall when you're, when you're doing this job. I was... um. I was shooting this this uh, pilot, like the, this this spec pilot for like a, a BMX biking thing. This is like right out of college, and I was just doing kind of any contract work I, I could have. And this is BMX biking like course, right? It's a big thing, right? It's an Olympic sport and all this stuff, right? The guy who was doing it and was leading it was like he had, he had won in the Olympics in previous years. And, you know, it's just these mounds of mud and all this stuff, right? And so you got to run and like follow these bike guys. And so I ran and I slipped and I got mud all over me. And then about, then I picked up the camera and still had to keep working. It was, it was great. It was embarrassing, but I mean, what do you got? You got to, it's a live thing. You got to keep going. Right. And it was, just, I just remember it was covered in mud after that. It was awful. Um, but I had some friends working on it as well. So they didn't give me that hard of a time about it, but it's just like, just, just, just thinking about that. And, and fortunately the camera is fine. Cause that's your number one objective is protect the camera that's what people are like hey, is the camera okay <laughs> that is the main thing people want to know but that's pretty scary and because you know it's kind of a rainy day in the scene right and you got guys running and you don't think about that but not only do you have the actors writing but you got camera guys keeping up with them and that's that's a real thing so anyway 
they uh, chase him into this alley, and it's uh, not for uh, if, if Joe Foreman had not been Dan Turpin's partner this day, he'd be dead. Yeah, like you said, broad daylight stealing something from a pharmacy, it's worth killing a cop over. Well, it's it's uh, what is it? A uh, couple episodes back, Lois tells uh, that, that Sebastian Kane memory guy, she's like, well. You know, next to hell, this is the worst place ever. <laughs> like, what? This is this is not in, Gotham Go- City. Yeah, we're in Gotham City. <laughs> City, right? But anyway, no, you know, what, it, probably... what it is is Superman isn't there yet, and Superman is what makes it a pristine, good city, right? There you go. Yep. Two more years, <laughs> but uh, no, Clark. Uh, Clark saves him from this junkie. You know, it's kind of like uh, Superman the movie-esque, right? Where he saves Lois from the bullet and he catches it. You know, it's the same kind of deal. Because it's in an alley. kind of gave me those kinds of Yeah, yeah. I saw it. So, anyway. That was cool. Nice little continuity, too. You could see when he turns around and Clark's standing next to the guy just on the ground, his fist is clenched. And, Mm -hmm. like, it kind of highlights that his fist is clenched. And he opens the hand and he has the bullet, right? So, let me cut to ISIS. And, oh, my God, they're going to do the Lex Luthor battle suit. I'm so excited. Version one, it is the Lex Luthor battle suit from the comic books of, of the Prometheus suit, which is, which is, look, Prometheus, of course, that's a name that Lex Luthor would use. That's so cool. And you think, oh, wow, Lex is going to come back and this is going to be the different vibe of Lex we get. We're going to get like battle suit, Justice League Unlimited Lex. It's going to be so awesome. I can't wait. And then we get version two and it's like, oh, subdermal... <laughs> You know, don't don't even tease us with that, unless it's you're gonna go through with it. You know what I mean? Typical, com- well, I say typical, but it's comic book writer giving you something that if you're a comic book reader, it'll it'll ring out to you, even if they're not necessarily gonna have the budget to create a big actual Lex Luthor warsuit. Which we kind of actually get on Supergirl, so I give them credit for that, even though it's the classic like, um extremist style stuff that appears out of nothing you know they, they give it they give it a little bit to us uh but you know lana's uploading the stuff that she stole from tess and she's talking to someone on the phone who we turn out turns out to be dr grohl uh was we find out the next episode the guy from season six so good continuity there but as she's doing this there's, there's an alert message that says data stream record from unknown wi-fi device it's like what <laughs> and that's just to show that tess has kind of figured out what's going on and that's that's setting up their confrontation later in the episode huh i'd forgotten that that was how she found out about it i thought that lana had just in in my head watching the episode waiting for this to happen knowing that that comes at some point in the the episode i thought lana had figured that out in her time away doing her research about lex but i guess it's kind of cool that they show it she stumbled upon it by accident let me cut from that to uh barbecue at dan turpin's place and hey Deep cut continuity. He's running around. He's got a blue shirt and a little red cape, a little red 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 sweater tied around his neck. And Clark's like, "Hey, who are you supposed to be? Warrior Angel?" He says, "No, I'm the Red Blue Blur." Pretty cool, huh? I like this, and what the kid dresses up as later. I like this better than when you're watching the crossover of Arrow and the Flash, and the kid already has full action figures of superheroes that aren't necessarily established as common as the guys we have action figures for. So I like that he's, you know, making his own costume for whatever it'll be. We know he doesn't really wear a mask and that's not necessarily his outfit, but 
it's what a kid would put together. I thought it was cool. I thought it was cute. Yeah, no, no, that's that's a good point. Like, who is making these <laughs> Green Arrow and Flash, uh, DC Direct, <laughs> you know, action figures in the Arrowverse? Williams like, I like the Flash. That's <laughs> pretty. That's a good point. Um, like, I can see him having a Flash action figure, but he has a Green Arrow one too, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and the, he has the a Green Captain Arrow. Cold. Like, they have villains. Yeah, it's like, hey, do you have your? Uh, Osama bin Laden action figure? You know, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of an, of an equivalent, right? Oh, um, man. But anyway, uh, that, that is that is cool that, like, Dan Turman, he's, like, not too hot on the on the capes, but his son is a fan. Like, that's classic, right? That's classic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Clark start, starts talking to Dan Turpin's wife, uh, actress Sarah Smith, and she is in Supergirl in five episodes as a character called Lydia Lockwood. Do you know who her husband in that show is? Oh, is it Sam Whitmer? It is. Oh, because I okay, I looked at the. I haven't watched almost any of that Supergirl, right? Like that those seasons. But I was like, oh, she's in season four with Sam Whitmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is it? Yeah, so they're, he, they're married. <laughs> it's incredible. It's all Small, connected. Smallville is the blueprint. Okay, that's pretty cool. Anyway, she's also looks like she's in some uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. So. You might hear someone somewhere talk about those. Uh, Christmas Getaway, yeah. uh, A Mistletoe Promise, <laughs> and She's in Wind Calls the Heart, which is a favorite of everyone in the Arrowverse. <laughs> I think there's a lot of actors who show up on that as well. So That's funny. I, 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 of course, I will watch Supergirl in its entirety one day, and so this will be fun for me to see all the, these people pop back up. But, uh, but no, I, I think um, that, that's cool because, she, he, you know, She's like, hey, you know, thanks for having us back. And a little bit. the important thing is, this is Clark seeing that family life, as you discussed, like having that balance between having the family life, being the hero, putting your life on the line. And then the, the other generic cops come in and say, hey, man, rookie really earned his keep today, man, you know? Yeah, it humanizes Turpin a little more than the others because you see Turpin's family, even though the, their other families are there too, right? Like it's not just it's not just his family and his other wives. I oh think. yeah, there are there are other people. There seem to be other people around. The head guy, uh, Officer uh, Talbert, is his name. The actor looked real familiar, and he's in the uh, Planet of the Apes movies, the new ones. He's in the okay. Chronicles of Riddick. He's in X Two, X Men United. A character called Mitchell Lario, who I have no idea who that is. <laughs> He's in Man of the High Castle. He's in Supernatural. He's in Project Blue Book. Like, this guy's a hardworking actor because he's just, he, he has one of those faces. I'm like, this guy's in stuff, you know. Mm. Uh, Is his character, you said his character was Laria? Yeah. Mitchell oh. Lario in X2 X Men United. <laughs> I heard the name Laria, and I thought you were going to say, like, maybe it was related to, like, Dan Laria. <laughs> no, 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 no. He, oh, he's in, of course, he is. He's in Valsar Galactica, Blood and uh. Chrome. Oh, here it is. He plays. Martin Summers on Era, one episode, the second episode of season one, Honor They Father. And who does he play in Man of Steel? <laughs> is he Man of Steel? No, I don't know. <laughs> let me let me see if he is. <laughs> I don't see how he's, he was too busy being on Bowser Galactica Blood and Chrome to appear in, on Man of Steel. He's in The Tomorrow People with... Uh, Peyton List, this man, this guy. So he's a Vancouver actor. Yeah, yeah, big time. Uh, he's in Alien vs. Predator Requiem, a, as is um, Dan Turpin here. So, Ooh. anyway, 
He also plays Drooly on Crypto the Superdog. <laughs> so, good on you, man. A hardworking actor if there ever was one. Uh, but anyway. That seemed to be like after work that day for them. They had the day shift. Yeah, right? and then uh, first day on the job, invite the new guy over to the house. That's cool. I like that. You know, they're all bonding and stuff. The way they were talking, it seemed like this was a regular occurrence. Like but, you like, do this every day? Apparently. <laughs> they were having conversations about like, hopefully we're, we're this lucky tomorrow. And Well, yeah, and that's something, you know, that's something the, the Dan Turman's wife says. Like, you know, his last partner, Mike, you know, he, he always thought he was bulletproof. Episode title said episode uh, plus yep. one. But these, you know, these guys, these guys are, they're shady. You know, they're like, oh man, you know, a rookie, you know, put your neck out for uh, somebody you don't know, huh? It's pretty, it's pretty tough. And Clark's like, isn't that what police officers are supposed to do? <laughs> like, ah, stones this on guy. this guy. <laughs> but that shows you like the, uh, that kind of shows you that they're not quite in the right space mentally to, to be police officers. So uh, that was, I think that's, that was subtle. That was, well, that was fine. Right. A couple lines later, I'm like, Woof. but anyway, that, that was subtle. That was good. Um, and then all their, their phones start going off and they like have another call. And like, and I thought to myself, well, that's strange. Their shift is over. So what are they getting called away for? But all these looks they're exchanging with each other mean like it's it's not real work. Right. Right. It's something else. And and uh undercover Clark didn't get the call. No. I thought not. it was a little I thought it was a little odd that they included him right away. But well, I guess if you want to bring him into how things should be, you Well, and it would be kind of obvious if they if he didn't, right? And True. also, he did. He did just save Dan Turpin's life, so they're probably thinking, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it's that is that's a big uh, that's a big leap of faith. They're like, hey, let's let's bring you in on this on this vigilante justice that we're having. Even though, even ironically, even though they hate capes, right? They're the ones doing vigilante justice. Well, uh, they have rules, and yeah, the capes don't. The other ones the don't, even rules. though they're not following their rules that they're supposed to be following. I think it goes to show more their how cocky they are, how confident they are in what they're doing because uh, they're going to bring the new guy in here and they're not worried about him ratting him out or anything like that. And even later on, like they're so confident, like, oh, we're going to kill the Green Arrow. So like they clearly don't think they can be touched. going to kill the Green Arrow. <laughs> Good luck with that. Well, they already tried for the Martian Manhunter. Yeah. But they didn't know. <laughs> they arrested <laughs> Superman. They don't even. That's, <laughs> that's on, so true. On. They don't even know these things, right? Uh, but we uh, we cut to ISIS, and uh, you know, I notice sometimes when they want to make Tess like more evil, they add a little more eyeshadow to her, and that's what they kind of do in this scene, right? Uh, it's it's the Tess Lana confrontation because you 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 corrupted Prometheus files, and Lex is going to die, and now I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, okay. So this is a uh, this is confirming. That Tess knows that Lex is alive, and is working for him, right? And like, because that had been unclear. I don't know when. I don't think it's ever made clear on the show, honestly. Because when she shows up at the beginning of season eight, she doesn't know where Lex is. And I think for several episodes, she really does trying to find it. But apparently, sometime between her last appearance and here, because she hasn't been in a couple of episodes now. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if she necessarily knows where he is, but she knows he's alive. And she's and, helping him. Yeah, she's helping him. Clearly, this project is important for him. Maybe she got more messages from X that we didn't see. <laughs> My headcanon for that, as I've said on the podcast now, is uh, 
that's Brainiac working inside Chloe because as soon as she found out that thing existed, he took over her mind to send those emails. Still thing. Anyway, that's my account. makes way more like sense that. than Lex reprogramming it. What are you talking about, man? Yeah. Anyway, Tess has some low blows uh, against Lana here. She uh, mentions the miscarriage. Well, Lana says she can't be controlled, and uh... <laughs> this is a good scene between them, though. Yeah, it shows they're pretty evenly matched. It does, you know, and you know, Tess trained by Checkmate, as you found out next season. But but uh, Rick Flag is who Lana was trained by, as you find out. <laughs> and not not the see. That's the thing. Okay, we were just talking about, and this is conversation for power. The next episode, Chris. But like the guy who trains Lana, the rise of Chung Lee, right? Yep. He goes on in season ten to play Rick Flag. Yes, a very very similar character by the same actor, a season and a half apart. Uh, why not just make that guy Rick Flag? <laughs> yeah. And retrospect, they should have said like, "Oh yeah, my you know I train Lana on my under my code name of whatever." You know what I'm saying? Like it's strange, but um, anyway, they have a pretty good uh, fight here. Much better than the Clark Doomsday fight, right at the end of the season. De- definitely more production value here. <laughs> like but, I would have, uh, I would have taken something like this, like find a way to, because Doomsday is so powerful and Clark is powerful. You don't have to have it be like a super knockdown throwout fight, like you see Clark having against himself in other seasons and whatever the case. Have it be like some hand to hand combat like this. No, I mean this is probably the best fight since Lana versus Chloe and Delete back in season, <laughs> back in season three. <laughs> but so they know uh, how to make the girls fight better than the superheroes. No, you're absolutely right, and they didn't. I think that was their mistake. Like they thought they were gonna have to like destroy all these city blocks. I mean, oh, just get these two guys like in a warehouse. A guy. I mean, you had a very impressive Doomsday suit, and have him and Tom Welling grapple. You know, and do some like just anything more than what we got, but that's that's a conversation for another day. And uh, and yeah, so so uh, Lana gets the jump on Tess, gets the gun, and then we and then it's pointing the gun at her, and then we cut to commercial. And I'm like, are we gonna get another Lana kills? No, we're not. Lana's not gonna kill Tess. Uh, but then we we'll come back from commercial, and it's revealed what is going on here with the cops. This 44th precinct. So uh, when when Clark was in the car with Dan Turpin earlier. And he like kisses a picture of his of his wife and kid before he goes uh, you know on the call, and there's another picture behind that picture that Clark kind of take notice of and fell off, off the the uh, the rearview mirror there, and it's of some criminal right some mugshot right, and you're like hmm this will definitely come into play later, and they arrive at this warehouse all the cops arrive at this warehouse here and that guy is there right and like hey we got a present for you Danny he's the guy that killed his partner right yeah, and th- this is where we get some of that. Uh, <laughs> That problematic dialogue. So, like, Dan Turpin's going in there to uh, to beat up uh, uh, this guy because he, he got off on a technicality, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have any idea what you did to me and my partner's family? And he's really wailing on him, right? Uh, and then, you know, Clark, like, Clark's seeing this and he's about to, like, kind of move in. And then and Talbert, the head, the ringleader of this whole operation, he stops Clark and he says, we may not control the system, but we control the streets. I was like... Like I know what you're trying to say, Smallville. <laughs> uh, uh, fine line that you have to, a thin blue line that you. Have it's to a walk thin. Here. They, there's a thin blue line. You're absolutely right. So that it just it just can't help but stick out in these days. Yeah, of like you all get this. you get what Smallville's trying to do here. They're trying to show that how far do you go to get justice? What what's right and what's wrong compared to capes doing 
what they do without the rules or what the cops do when the system fails right etc but well the, there's know. no argument that like the justice system has flaws and people get through the cracks all the time I and mean, i guess the, the the question is like what is the correct response to that right not beating him up in a warehouse and killing him that's right sure. and, and that's that's the angle they're going through with smallville's story here like that's what they're like approaching not like the whole like cops are just out there doing whatever they want like i mean they're doing that in this context but it's you know it's a different uh it's it's a different shade of that than than kind of the what's so much in the in the in the conversation today but but yeah i mean you take some of that, that dialogue you're like damn right? the more things change the more things stay the same unfortunately yeah and essentially clark gets saved by oliver showing up like what was clark gonna do like they literally they throw him a crowbar they're like hey you're just gonna stand there Fordman. Are you gonna man up? Give your partner a hand, and he Clark's he's looking at this like you know tire <laughs> iron, and uh, I, I assume if if Oliver had not shown up, then Clark would have done something with superpowers and gotten out of there. I didn't I didn't remember this episode, so I'm like, what is? I was really mm-hmm. on the edge of my seat, wondering what Clark was gonna do, right? Uh, so Green Arrow showing up, uh, fantastic timing, huh? Yeah, and at at what point does he realize that that's Clark because he shoots everybody and Clark catches it? You think he would have pegged by then that it was Clark from looking from the rafters or whatnot? Because he really seems surprised when Lark, Lark, when Clark pulls the arrow out of him, pulls the arrow out of him, and, and kind of gets in his way. Like, what the hell are you doing here, right? And speaking of it being cold, I mean, th- this this might have played a factor into why there were sleeves on the Green Arrow costume this time, uh, because uh, David Packow in Smallville: The Official Magazine, number thirty-two, had this to say about these action scenes: "Quote." There were some stunts that were done at 4 a.m. We used squibs and the whole works, but Justin Harley had it worse than me. He was wearing his leather Green Arrow outfit, which is harder to move in, and it was cold outside, too. I was the victim in most of the scenes, so I just had to run around and try not to get shot. <laughs> so I'm feeling that's what it was. They're like, it's too cold, Justin. We're putting the sleeves back. Because I assume they either have like an alternate version of this costume with the sleeves, or they can just like put the sleeves on and then he puts the vest on over the, over that kind of like wetsuit or whatever they have going on there. So, but no, this was a, uh, this was cool to see him take that on these guys because this is stuff I wanted to see more of kind of when green arrow being a main character on the show, like Clark is operating and then he just runs into green arrow doing his thing because that, that, that rarely, ha- I feel like that rarely happened on the show. Yeah. Post season six, you don't see as much Oliver as green arrow being green arrow anymore. So it's nice that you get moments like this. And you also get Dan Turpin seeing Clark talk to the Green Arrow. Yeah, uh, everyone else gets electrocuted and, <laughs> and goes unconscious to keep Clark's secret, but not Turpin. <laughs> nope. He's a little bit stronger. Yeah, yeah. So then we uh, come back to Isis and, and Lana it has tested gunpoint, uh, but it's not going to kill her. And uh, we get a big info dump on like Lex's backstory. Uh, she asked Tess, like, were you this loyal before or after your accident? And there was an explosion in South America three years ago for disease samples. And I think, I think this is during season five when Lex was collecting all those diseases for Brainiac. It said two years ago. Well, you know, give or take. (laughs) Well, it also goes into Tess's backstory where she knows that there, uh, is somewhere down in South America is when Clark had to go get the antidote. Yeah. Yeah. And being the, you know, oceanographer with all that stuff, like it's, it kind of tracks. I mean, this is what they're having to make all this stuff up now because I think they finally realized that Michael Rosenbaum's not coming back. 
So they're like, well, I guess we'll just write all this stuff in exposition. Because what's what's interesting here is like Lana activates this, you know, signal through all the ISIS cameras in the computer room there, and it shows that everything Tess sees and hears is being transmitted to Lex. Lana and, says and, Lana says, I'm opening your eyes and quite literally. Literally, yeah. <laughs> quite literally. And it's the whole like, you know, infinitude look because she's holding her hands up from the TV. It's really cool. It's like whenever we have like a camcorder hooked up to the TV, what do we do? We point it at the TV and we divide by zero and it's, you know, it's a yeah. real cool thing. Or uh, bringing it back to Star Wars when Ray goes into her dark side on uh, Octo. And... Yeah. <laughs> but you can tell that Tess is like, oh, because she didn't know this was going on. She's pretty shocked by this and Lex never trusted her. That's what Lana's point is with all this. Uh, and then, he used yeah. her. Definitely. I loved you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> We're almost there. But. I, I would argue that I'm thinking at this point they probably still hope they were going to get Michael Rosenbaum back because we see later where they use a photo of him. They're establishing mm. him as an active character wanting to get a suit to make himself better. And this episode is essentially the turning point for Tess where she's no longer... Like she starts on her trend to not necessarily be the villain, right? Because now oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, she wants to merge with Oliver at the end, and there's. A, I think that this was more of a test turning point than necessarily closing the door on Lex. Yeah, that's true. Because now there's no one to be that nefarious, you know. Serving that role that Lex had through, through or, or Lionel, right, for all the previous seasons. It's and just what, that, make, what makes Tess dangerous is you think she is essentially Lex 2.0. She's in in <laughs> in bed with Lex and not literally, but. Or uh, oh, was it? <laughs> she's in his league and running his company. And how much does she know? How much does she not know? And essentially, this kind of turns her against Lex. Well, but I think this is a very comic book Lex Luthor thing to do. Like someone under his control had some accident. So he's, as Lana says, he saved you, but he never trusted you. Right. So he saved her, but he put this neurotransmitter, right. Nanotransmitter inside of her optic nerve or whatever. How many more people does he have this? Who knows? But this is, I mean, this is what Lex does in the comics with like people like Metallo. Right. I mean, that's, that's very on brand for Lex Luthor. So like that's, he sees people as, as, as resources to be used. Instead yeah, of people of, for people's sake. One of my favorite Lex Luthor stories, and I couldn't tell you what comic it's from. He goes into some random diner and he sits down and he talks to this woman and basically offers her all this money to like just run away with him right now, leave everything behind, leave her family, leave everything and come be with him. And then he just she goes in the back and then he just disappears and leaves her there. And then he's talking to somebody about it and said basically he ruined her life because she's always going to wonder if she should have done it or not. Yeah, so you like know, that, uh, that's Matthew Lex Roca Luther. told me that story on a podcast. Uh, I think it was I think it was on Fracture. He was telling me about that story, too. I, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard that comment. I think he's probably talking to Mercy Graves or somebody, right? But it's just, he's just a sociopath, man. And yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's what's so interesting. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't care what kind of damage he leaves in his wake. And, that's, and now that, you know, Lex is past the point of no return as far as Smallville goes, he, we can get away with him doing stuff like that. I mean, he was going to do a cyborg on this show, right? Yeah. Uh, wipe his memory and then use him as a tool and all those um, super soldiers and all, all that stuff. So, 
probably what we would have seen if uh, Rosenbaum had stayed on. <laughs> we would have had nefarious Lex doing much more evil things. Well, let's. Well, I got a, I got a question for. We'll save it. We'll save it to the end though for uh, okay. for that. But we cut to the hospital, and Clark is there, and Dan Turpin <laughs> is there. Uh, How? I don't know why they're both there. How did how did Turpin know that Clark would go there? Yeah, that's I have no idea. <laughs> well, he knows that he's asking all these questions about John Jones. I guess that's 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 how he knows. So because because Clark is there, he's watching. You know, uh, John Jones. He talks to Hamilton. Hamilton has some dialogue here. Like he has like two lines, <laughs> which is clearly like good on them for setting up Hamilton here and then making him more later. Because I was like, dude, is that is that it for Doctor Hamilton? <laughs> I would have been pissed if that was you don't, especially you cast a guy like like that and then have him have four lines. It doesn't. I I know you're kind of foggy on the later seasons. You don't remember him like singing Elvis and. No 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 no. <laughs> I remember all that. I'm just saying like at the time. Like I'm gotcha, like gotcha. Oh cool. We have a new Doctor Hamilton. Oh wait, he had four lines. Is he ever going to be back? Did they waste Mister Gata from BSG? No, I I remember him very much so in nine and ten, <laughs> yeah, but not so much in an uh, eight. Well, I think setting the lineup, we need somebody on the payroll, and then having it be Emil Hamilton, you kind of got to, you would guess that it's somebody that's going to be coming back. Mm-hmm. So Dan Turpin, he he confronts Clark here. He's like, what are you, Joe? You fed? You AIB? Right? And I think he connected with the dots. He did say, like, you were asking about some detective, and then I see you, because he had asked about John Jones earlier to, to the guys, just kind of put some feelers out to try to get to the bottom of stuff. And uh, and he, he finds them checking up on him at the at the at the hospital. And Clark's like, he Clark tells him that hey, I know the guy who who shot him. Is part of your squad, you know. And it's not the first time they've gone after you know, just you know, justice, you know, vigilante justice, right? Street justice. And then he confronts me. He's like, "Who are you protecting? Right? You don't roll over on a badge, Chris. Not ever." That's what I learned from this episode of Smallville. These guys have my back, man. Well, hey. Never turn over one of your own. Sounds bad now, but we still have more episode left. I do like what Clark says. He says, this is not justice. And again, that is the point of this episode. It's it's trying to say the right thing, right? And it's it's... it's some of the phrases they use are kind of lightning rod phrases, perhaps these days. But like, its heart is in the, the its heart is always in the right place, right? I mean, even with subterranean, which is like the the ever equivalent episode I compare this to, where it's like, well, if he's in this country illegally, then he needs to be deported. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> says the says the Hispanic sheriff. He's like, well, he should have done it like my parents did, the right way. <laughs> like, oh my god! But again, they were trying to make an analogy. Right between Clark being in this country like as an illegal immigrant, for lack of a better term, right? They were trying to do something with that. In this episode, they're trying to do some of the fact of like, you know what? You have cops who are also acting like vigilantes, but they hate vigilantes. So where is the line there, right? And Clark is trying to juggle all these things, and and ultimately, again, this is not justice. That's the point. Yeah, hearts in the right place. Could have done a little bit better. There's also a, a noticeable lack of diversity in the police squad. Well, they do shoot the one black detective. How's that exactly? <laughs> I didn't even realize that. So that they even worse. <laughs> God's sake! And then, following up this scene, we get Oliver confronting Clark at the Kent farm uh, about you know he, he throws he throws that like you know one of those uh, green arrow darts at him, 
and uh, he's like, oh, the thug looks good on you. And he's like, they're not all bad, Oliver. <laughs> like, they're not all bad. Like, guys, it's the barrage of all these statements and phrases, like, all in a, in a short amount of time that I'm, like, getting overwhelmed by, honestly. But th- this is, you know, you take a step back, and you look at it just in the small universe, these characters... I like how they have the different points of view on this. Like Oliver is very hard line about this. Superman's a little more open-minded. Oliver's like, these guys are doing bad. They need to be punished, right? Uh, we found a guy in the river the other day. Probably your, your buddies the, did the that. Guy that. The guy that John Jones arrested in the beginning. Yeah. That's who they found in the river. And Superman is like, you know what? They were on the wrong path. We need to give them a chance. Like, So this is a very, you know, Green Arrow is, you know, when you can't have Batman, you have Green Arrow. He's the Batman surrogate. This is the Superman and Batman clash of ideologies of like how you deal with criminals, I think. So on that front, from that angle, the scene works. But again, they throw they sprung in those lines and you're like, like it well, kind of takes me out of it. So what ends up happening is is Oliver's defending the situation and Clark is basically accusing Oliver of being in that same situation and doing the same thing the police officers have done before. And he goes so far that that Oliver basically asks him, like, are you saying this is right? <laughs> And I thought I thought you of all people would understand. I think Clark drops yeah. one of those on him, right? What I really like about these confrontations, specifically between Oliver and Clark, is they feel so strongly individually and from their own viewpoints, and they go at each other, and they always end up ending the scene with them still at odds. Like, they'll walk away without resolution. But as we'll see later in the episode, they both take what the other person said to heart. They actually They actually listen to each other, even if it doesn't look like it here in these confrontation scenes. It's hard as a viewer because they're they're strapped for time. It's a full TV show. They got to get these arguments in. They can't actually sit here and have full conversations. I always feel when these ends, like I would have said something more. Like you just let Oliver walk away after he gets that last. I would have said something more. <laughs> and kept it going, but I get that they can't always do that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like this is a an action adventure young adult romance show, right? And it's not it's not. Breaking Bad, or they can't sit down. They can't, I mean, on a show like that, you would have a 20-minute scene of these guys hashing this, you know what I'm saying? Like, like hashing these out. Mm-hmm. Clark's stance on this is like, look, justice is not throwing people in a dark room. It's about helping them find their way back to the light. You know, I think, that, and that's the difference between a Superman and a Batman, for example, their their points of view on, on justice. So when you look at it from that term, from that standpoint, I think it was a pretty good scene. That's the strength of this episode, too, is Clark helping people not necessarily just by using his powers, like helping them to come to the right conclusion, helping them to learn the right lesson and inspire hope and, you know, not necessarily as catching a bullet. Well, Oliver's the one, as he always does he's like calling Clark into action like how many more people are you gonna let die you, you you it's funny that he's the one that says you sit here and play detective you know I'm gonna make sure your boys don't put another person in the hospital so it's they're they're kind of mixing up perhaps what 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 the generic you know Superman response would be and the generic Batman mm-hmm. response would be in, in this situation but Oliver and he's pretty pissed about this whole thing he storms off and you can tell that they're like it's it's very unresolved as you said and I and I like that well they're both they're both strong-willed prideful uh they need to take a step back before they can start to really listen to each other but then what do you think about dan turpin selling out uh clark to uh to talbert here it it fits in line with the how he was early i mean his brotherhood he knows he's not one of them so 
he's got to protect his his own. I mean, he he, lo- he looks pretty upset about it. I mean, he's upset about the whole situation. He, he's not like happy about having to sell him out, but well, we, it's, we find, he, he makes a couple of calls and he easily finds out. Like, like what do you think? Like, did Chloe just invent some fake resume? Right. <laughs> is, is this easily... A couple calls and he knows that he's Clark Kent reporter from the Daily Planet. <laughs> if only he had glasses. If only he had glasses, they would never recognize him, Chris. Uh, but hey, blue shirt, red jacket, plus one, because Clark's in Superman uh, mode. He's at uh... Simmons. There, there's no setup for this. Right, because you're like, what? It's kind of like out of context. You're like, what is going on here? You no, find out later that he's Clark like, you ma- set me up. Clark made a comment earlier on that he had it narrowed down to either Tolbert or Simmons. Oh, okay. So he's checking out Simmons' place. But this is something. Something where like this was a trap they set for him. He finds because, the gun in the trunk. And yeah, as as he, he, but now his fingerprints are all over it. Right. Yep. Uh, like you're under you're under arrest for the attempted murder of John Jones. Right, and he looks at uh, he looks at Turpin. He's like, "You set me up." So what do they do? Like, just stake out all of the other cops' houses for the off chance that the reporters gonna show up? Well, no. What I'm saying is, Turpin probably called him like, "Hey, you're right. I got to the bottom of it. It was Simmons." Oh, maybe go to his house, and then they're all in waiting there. But uh, that wasn't clear. No, it was not clear bit. at all. No, like, maybe <laughs> just like a text message or something. Like they they they, they tried to like they probably thought it would be too obvious. <laughs> right well they, honestly they, what they should have done they should have taken out the scene where turpin confesses to talbert like hey i found out who he is right you should have had, instead of that you have turpin call clark like hey clark i thought about what you said uh did a little digging it's simmons here's his address meet me there we'll take him down together clark shows up finds the gun they all move in and then it's obvious and then he has the conversation right. like because he because because uh talbert even says to turpin like you do the right thing you know so yeah. that could have been that reveal. It, it's it's not clear. Like they made him show up in his pseudo Superman suit, exploring <laughs> using his X ray vision to look around. I don't think he was expecting to meet Turpin there. Yeah, because yeah, because so. he would he would have been the cop. He would. Oh. Anyway, yeah, even as even when he goes to see him later at the end, he's not wearing. He's, <laughs> he's wearing, not wearing the red. The red in, you're, hey, you're just like the red blue blur. <laughs> <laughs> Just like my son. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that later, but oh man! But uh, this is where he, uh, uh, Talbert tells Turpin like your hands have been too clean for too long, Danny boy. Because so that's important because it establishes that Turpin has not crossed the line like some of these other guys have. Mm-hmm. So that's important. But he says you're going to be the man who killed the Green Arrow. Dun dun dun. Cut to commercial. So we go to commercial. We come back and uh, they have taken that that junkie they arrested earlier. Chekhov's junkie. They set him up. They're paying him off here. They're pulling him out on the street. They're going to like brutalize him to get the attention of the Green Arrow so they can draw him in and kill him. But using him as bait. It's, it's a good thing the Green Arrow was in the neighborhood. And he calls him the Arrow. He's like, how do you know the Arrow is going to show? I'm like, oh, they called him the Arrow. Like Smallville that. did it first. The first instance of it. Smallville always did it first. <laughs> so... So the guy's like, help. And he's like, he starts beating him up and somebody help me. And then he pulls, you know, one of the dudes pulls a gun out on him, shoots it. And then they're waiting for, for Oliver, who, as you said, they're lucky that he was kind of in the area, <laughs> you know, because Metropolis is a big city. Enough to hear the gunshot. I think the gunshot was what's supposed to draw him in, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you say people don't need a savior, but every day I hear people crying for one. Okay. And... <laughs> So of all the crimes 
<laughs> Green Arrow heard that night. He chose to stop this one. And it's funny how like he stops it and the guy runs off and he's like, you're welcome. <laughs> well, we know. We know why he was really there because he was actually exploring. He was actually looking into those officers. Oh, you think you, you think he was just following them, tagging them? Oh, yeah. He told Clark he was going to go do something about it so they couldn't kill somebody else. I'm sure he was. So they were both trying to, you know, he was after them. They were after him. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that's why, it, it, in reality, it makes sense that he was there. But when you think about their plan to draw him in. Their plan sucks. Falls. If he yeah. wasn't looking into them, that would have. Well, their plan, their plan really sucks. They're going to have Danny hide in the in the stairwell and shoot the green arrow when he shows up. But meanwhile, you got a guy on the roof with a, with sniper, a sniper rifle. Who's not going to pull the trigger until it's very clear at the end that nothing's going to happen. Well, I think it's the redundancy. Like, he wanted Turpin to, like, cross the line. Because that's the thing, right? It's kind of like in, you know, as Batman Begins, right? Like, Gordon mm-hmm. doesn't take them. He's not on the take, so he makes them uncomfortable. Like, Danny hasn't got his hands there like the rest of them. So that makes them feel uncomfortable, right? So right. they're like, okay, we got to make this guy cross the line. <laughs> so then he'll be in the same boat as we are, right? So that's, this, but then the, the redundancy, right, <laughs> was him with the sniper up top, right? But then, hey, to Oliver's credit, even though him and Clark were at odds, he he takes to heart what Clark said and tries to talk this guy down. He's like, it's not too late for you. You don't have to do this. And, and you know, this is a, a no-kill finale, if you will. He talks Turpin down. And he's like, I, I got a son at home. He's like, yeah, when you ask your boy what you did tonight, you tell him you killed a man in cold blood. I'm like, oh, he got him, Green Arrow. Yeah, I, I like that. I like what Oliver did there. And Because sometimes that's what you need. You need that perspective, right? Yeah, and it came from a guy that he didn't trust and didn't expect to be a good guy that would that would do that for him. He probably thought this guy's gonna I need to shoot him quick or he's gonna take me down. He's like pull the trigger and prove Clark wrong, right? Because he name drops Clark and be a real hero. He's like, Man, if this is what you need to do to find yourself, just just do it, right? And he and he can't do it. So to to their credit, right? I mean, obviously it's Dan Turpin's combo character. I would hope they wouldn't make him a like what they could have done was have him shoot him and like he had a, he had his vest on, right? Because to your point, this whole episode they've been talking about bulletproof vests, right? Are you telling me the Green Arrow didn't have a bulletproof vest? Well, you you would assume the suit is bulletproof, right? Yeah, but, but no, we've seen him get shot through it, haven't we? <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, but then you know, Turpin decides not to shoot Green Arrow. But then we see the red sniper dot on Turpin, and 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 uh, Talbert's going to shoot him. So Oliver has to tackle him into the, to the ground, and then and then Talbert calls in. He's like, "Dispatch! We got the Green Arrow assaulting an officer." So he's going to call everybody in to hopefully kill kill the Green Arrow. But because he calls us in, it goes over the APB, and Clark hears this when he's in like the back of the police car. So he just <laughs> speeds off. You I know? like the I like the little bit of dialogue you hear from the police officers that have him to show that there's still it's still people that are also in on it. Took him. I mean, well, they were they were on the scene, but oh, knew Danny couldn't do it. Well, no, that that's that's good to see. Also, that establishes for Clark that like whatever like they wanted Turpin to do, he didn't do. Right. So when Clark shows up on the scene, not knowing what's going on, he has that information. So I think that's that's an important piece uh, there as well. But it turns out that like like. Talbert actually just shoots. He actually shoots like Turpin like in the leg or something or no, in the arm, shoulder. The arm, okay, yeah. He's wearing he's got his arm in a sling later and when he <laughs> right. stupidly just runs out into the open, right. he gets hit he gets hit in the shoulder and falls. <laughs> but I, I like this where like we see through the scope, right? We see like he, you know, the sniper in the scope and then we just see the blue. You know, and it's Clark in the way. I'm like that is such a Superman moment right there, right? Yeah. Uh 
talk about red, blue, blur that everyone's talking about. You show up in red and blue, and you show the guy that you could take a bullet because <laughs> you're wearing your vest. Clark's wearing like his you vest. said, always wear a vest, right? Because he shoots in like point blank range, uh, and that's not exactly how bulletproof vests work. Like you still feel some impact. <laughs> like he would yeah, fly. Yeah, you'd, you'd get you'd get knocked down, <laughs> especially being at point blank. That you're so. I didn't even think about that, Chris. You're so right about it. he should have just kept in the cop. Uh, outfit uh, the whole time because <laughs> they're aware of the red blue blur when you see this guy show up like it's it's episodes like this that makes it so much more obvious because he hasn't worn it the entire episode he's been undercover and he's wearing mm-hmm. even when he's at home he's wearing the gray shirt white sleeves yeah yeah and then later on he's wearing a suit just like he was wearing a suit with lana he puts on the <laughs> blue shirt red jacket just for these moments yeah which would make sense if he was out, you know, saving people and doing his thing. But this is specifically to uh, explore these cops that he is hiding from. Yeah, like if this were an episode of Lois and Clark, Clark Kent would be the undercover cop, and then Superman would show up and do these things, right? Right. But but there's just Clark Kent here <laughs> with no disguise. Well, I mean, we've even seen in Lois and Clark, you've seen him dress up in not Superman suit, like he's worn like a ski mask or uh, oh yeah, all, all yeah, black. that's a good point. Yeah. When what what when he had to break into like a jewelry store or something, I remember that. <laughs> it's funny, but he had that you know presence of mind. He'd be like, people are gonna see who I am. So anyway, yeah. um, we get one last. It's a you know it's hearts in the right place, but it, it just like struck me when Turpin like has the other cop, you know, arrested, and all the cops show up. He's like, whoa, hold your fire. I'm one of the I'm good one guys. Of the good guys. Like, all right. We understand what you're saying, Smallville. But Clark sees this from far away, and he has a smile. He's like, okay, Turpin did the right thing. And and there we go, right? So then we uh, cut to commercial, and we come back, and we're at Metropolis General Hospital again. And, and uh, Phil Morris gets something to do again. The episode, he's back. Uh, this is a good final scene. It, it kind of a... Uh, it's Martian Manhunter, Oliver, and Clark all talking, and this is kind of... You mentioned earlier, kind of subtly reinforces like maybe we should be more of a team because you know we've kind of lost our way and we need to be stronger together right yeah and this would have been a good final scene unfortunately it's not the final scene <laughs> but no the conversation between them talking about the contrast of what they said before like well we we do better on our own let's go do it clearly that didn't work if they'd worked together maybe it would have been resolved a little sooner or maybe if they'd worked together instead of like john jones working on his own not bringing clark in early enough uh, well, I like how he says that. He's like, Clark's like, why didn't you tell us about this? And he's like, same reason why, you know, you let your guard down last night, or or or, or why, you know, I, I had to wait till last minute to to save you, pride. And I'm like, that's a good that's a good answer because you always ask like, why don't these heroes <laughs> help each other out all the time? And it's that's a good answer. I, I buy it. He sells it. So, mm-hmm. and he he says too, he's so used to he's had the power, he's had all these powers before. He thought he was kind of untouchable. Thought he's bulletproof but uh it's hard to hard to not accept that and to live a normal life after you haven't before that sounds like such a great uh concept for tv show chris (laughs) did you okay in season eight right he has lost his powers uh we have no indication that he's gonna get him back did you i mean did you assume that marshall manhunter would when they get his powers back on on smallville or trying to place myself where I was back then thinking about it because he was a main character. 
I thought maybe it would come back somehow. Yeah, or at least a recurring character. Well, yeah, recurring. Well, I think the problem is, I mean, they run into the same problem on Supergirl, where it's like, well, we have Martian Manhunter around, and he's like one of the most powerful, you know, beings anywhere. That's I I love that on. uh, I love that line from Supergirl, where it's like one of the most powerful beings on this planet. You know who said that? Superman is talking about Martian Manhunter, and that really placed because he is. I mean, his Mm -hmm. his weakness is fire, which is like you know. I love what DC New Frontier is like. Your weakness costs a penny, <laughs> so watch out. What Batman tells him, but he's he's Superman, but he's even more powerful because he can phase through things, he can shape shift, he can read minds. Um, so I understand why they want to like remove him, off get him off the board for Smallville because he's not even Superman yet. So they that this was a clever loophole to do that. Mm-hmm. Supergirl never solved that problem. They I remember when uh, David Harry was on Inside of You. With Michael Rosenbaum, he's always talking about, like, yeah, they was having some like necklace or <laughs> taking away my powers all the time. It was so true because like you can't have him outshine Supergirl. Right. That was Superman's problem in Supergirl. They can't have, and I understand it because it's a, she's the title character, and that painted him in a corner a lot of times. So anyway, I, I understand why they took his powers away. I mean, at this point, we thought Smallville might end this season, so I'm like, okay, well, I guess one day we'll just assume he gets his powers back. But I didn't know. And I, I never, I never thought we would see a comic book accurate full Martian costume well, either. Even yeah. if it was for like two seconds. Two seconds, yeah. Could have done more with that, Smallville. <laughs> but you know what? I'll, all that to say, season nine is a good season for Martian Manhunter, right? It's, you know, for all, all, all my like that cemented him as being like in my memory of being like, man, he was an integral part of this show because he does. There's a lot of the absolute justice, checkmate, lots of awesome stuff for him in season nine. But like, uh, yeah, I think I don't, I don't know off the check, but this might be the last time we see him before season nine, Chris. I'll be anxious to listen along and see. We'll, we'll, f- we'll find out together. I could look it up right now, but I'm going to choose not to. So, um, But they, they tie themselves together here. Clark's talking about how, like, you know, that that brotherhood, they can make you feel like you can do anything, you know, from the cops. And he's like, I, that's a good feeling, you know. And this is them talking about, like, maybe we should get back to that. So we cut to uh, Luther Corp. Tess giving her uh, goodbye notice to to Lex, uh, this is the scene I've been talking about for so long. It's like I love you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> See, this would be a good final scene, also. Well, you like you prefer all these before the other final. Yeah, well, the, the <laughs> thing is, the actual final scene needed just to not exist. You know, like that would have been fine. Yeah. But Tess looking in a mirror, um, talking to Lex, knowing that he's been watching everything she says and does. That you know, he, that he's seen some interesting things, hasn't he? <laughs> as hinted on by what happens when as soon as she finishes giving the speech because yeah. that's where my mind first goes to when <laughs> you think about all the things that lex might have seen i liked how they have this necklace right that she has that's kind of like it's a, it's a switch that kind of interrupts the signal and i was like oh cool she's gonna have to wear this necklace and i know she does for at least one more episode but then I, they probably drop it much like lana's kryptonite necklace right we gotta pay attention for a throwaway line where she had it removed or something yeah let's pay attention uh but she, you know, she, you know, she says like you're gonna see your company fade away and resources dry up and be cut off from the world and goodbye, Lex. And she hits the button. It's like signal jammed, right? And then it's after that she says, "I loved you, you son of a bitch." And I'm like, "Wouldn't she say that to him?" No, you don't want to give him the satisfaction. <laughs> now, when she says that, when she says that, Chris, in 2009, when you're watching this episode, what were you thinking? The same thing I was thinking in uh, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> they're playing it for 
yeah. romantic. Like she's she's crying, and it's like I loved you, and she idolized him. Right? They had a close relationship. I wasn't as tied into the message boards early on. Uh, watching the show. I don't know if there was already speculation that she might be related to him or not. No, because she was a so. Miss Tess Mocker Mercy Graves combination, yeah. right? That's Tess Mercer. Hello, right? So uh, Mercy Graves, very a very interesting character who, who's been mm-hmm. underserved in, in a lot of <laughs> versions of Superman, unfortunately, and I, I would love to see whatever the new Lex Luthor is. I hope she he has a Mercy Graves by, by his side and doesn't blow her up immediately, <laughs> as we saw in BBS. Unnecessarily. But, I was like, oh, cool. Well, Takamoto from the Wolverine is Teresa Graves. I can't wait to see her in this new Superman franchise. Oh, never mind. But she's a very interesting character who I would like to see like a proper version of her as opposed to Smallville, which is like amalgamation. Um, she has this loyalty to Lex. I don't think it's necessarily romantic or anything, but they had that. Obviously, Miss Tessmacher, like devoted to Lex in the Christa Reeve films. That's who this character was. So there was no like, could she be Latessa Lena Luther? No, that's a season ten total invention. Well, I, in, in this one, essentially, she she is Mercy Graves, just with the name Tess, because she's uh, for all intents and purposes, she's the uh, the bot. The, she she could be his bodyguard, like like Mercy is like well trained, handles all his dirty business, knows all that's going on. That's how I saw it. But then great timing, uh, Oliver shows up, right? And uh, says mercy. Yeah, she she quickly uh, collects herself because she's been great. Like, Cassie Freeman is so good. Mm-hmm. Like she is so good in this role on this show. Like I, I say it every time, but it's like I like this could have gone so wrong. <laughs> Draw parallels yeah. to our, our friends on Arrow talking about the actor playing Prometheus. Yeah. About how he carries the show because he's so good. He carries a, a, a role that could have failed. Yeah. And, this role here as a replacement for Michael Rosemont, Lex Luthor, you've talked about this on your podcast a lot already. She knocks it out of the park. So Oliver comes in and she's like, we're going to dinner. We're going to discuss a merger. And he's like, oh, a merger. And then she turns around. She kind of has this wicked smile. She's like, any kind you want. And I'm like, oh, is this business or pleasure or both? <laughs> maybe, maybe you take the necklace off for that. <laughs> Don't keep me waiting. I'm like, she, he, yeah, they're going to merge companies and merge bodies at, before this night is over, I believe, right? And, I, and that works because of the history they have, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I, 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 that's the thing I realized on the show, like, I ship Oliver with everybody. <laughs> I think he's great with Lois. I think he's great with Tess. Ironically, you think he's like, Chloe and him is probably the, the least of those three <laughs> pairings, right? This is where we tend to disagree a lot is on what we think should happen to Chloe, you and I. Okay. Uh, I I was never I was never a Clark C H L A whatever <laughs> Chloe and Clark shipper yeah um I I liked her with this version of Jimmy and and per se I don't know if I see I don't think she fit well with Oliver it didn't match for me well no just that's because what I'm, that's what I'm saying of yeah. of the ones I just listed off like <laughs> Oliver and Tess yes Oliver and Lois yes Oliver and Chloe I mean I like it from Chloe's and like being a Chloe family, like, good. She did just get like get, get Chloe getting off. a like Chloe getting a happy ending, but yes, with the I equivalent think... of Batman in this universe, which is like the next best thing to Superman, mm-hmm. um, because she is like integral to everything on this universe, right? But th- I never that did come out of nowhere, you know. But and then it, but you see all this like I love that I just love the chemistry he has with Erica Durant and, and Cassidy Freeman and anyway it just it works with you either know, one of them. Fast forward to season 10, who's all around still? You have Lois, you have Tess, you have yeah. Canary. All of them have <laughs> been with Oliver. 
Well, we just we got almost no interactions between them, right? Maybe we could have something there. Well, obviously, Justin Harley has chemistry with everybody, so I'm sure, sure. if they had pursued the Black Canary course, well, uh, they had less than plutonic messaging. <laughs> those emails were just, <laughs> just platonic. That was funny. Oh, uh, but anyway, my my point is like I love like the. I love the the double entendre of we're gonna have a merger, any kind you want, and they go off on their night and good for y'all. And then we pan down to Tess's desk and it says Lex Luthor declared dead. We get the picture of Rosa Mom. We'll take a screenshot of that. Tragic finale to a turbulent life. That's for that's for sure. And yeah, that's where so the episode ends. That's supposed to be damaging for him, but being declared dead wouldn't that kind of give him a little bit of freedom? I don't Unless know. This... Maybe she can use that to to claim all of his money and assets. Well, I know, and this is what I wanted to ask you. So, like, you're a Lois and Clark fan. Yes. How do you think Lois and Clark did with the death and return of Lex Luthor versus Smallville? Which time? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I, uh, I think Lois and Clark did it better. Mainly yes. because John Shea came back as Lex for a handful of episodes, and they carried on that story. It wasn't like a last minute, I'm here for a day, let's tack this on, right? Right, and I believe that I believe that, that Lex would be enticed to give up everything to have the woman he couldn't have. Like this Lex, I don't I don't see him necessarily foregoing a life of luxury and power and all that just just to have well Lois Lane, like it in Lois and Clark, so that, that it would one be Lana Lang in this reality. So yeah, so hmm. that 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 wouldn't fit a lot better for me. I think they handled it a lot better, but also maybe they didn't have to worry about are we going to get the actor back or not? Yeah, I mean they had an understanding clearly. Like, hey, I'll come back once or twice a season, and that was fantastic. And uh, the the only thing I mean, I love the Lois and Clark. Like, so he's my second favorite after you know, John Shea's my second favorite after Michael Rosenbaum. Mm-hmm. I just his plans devolved into like, well, I just want to marry Lois. <laughs> Like that's 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 it. Like, you know, to your point, I'm gonna give up all this stuff just to, you know. I guess that's all he had left at the end. But it's like, come on, man! I was hoping for like higher aspirations. Like, well, I, I get it. I mean, who wouldn't want to, you know, be with Lois Lane? But it's like, look, man, like you're Superman's arch nemesis. But still, like when he came back, like you found out Clark's identity, right? He went after the Kents, right? He did all kinds of stuff. I've, I've been on Lois and Clark's the new podcast of Superman with our friend Matt Truix, and we talked about that. And so mm-hmm. I really enjoyed whenever he came back on the show. And and yeah, ultimately, just having the actor willing and able to come back allows you to do so much more in these. Because it's like, oh, look, he's he, his body's in that frozen case over there, right? Or, or he's in jail right now. Like that allows you to kind of keep uh, Luther Network News is around. Luther Corp. He has ex wives and sons coming out of the woodwork, right? Even though he wasn't around, his presence was felt on the show, and it never felt like a cheat because he would come back every now and then, mm-hmm. right? This, in retrospect, this is all a cheat because he was never coming back. And they just they went full speed ahead, acting like he was. I and almost that, think it. I almost think it would have been better. Everything would have been paid off fine. Having a bald head with wires hooked up to it, talking picture. I mean, if they didn't have the death that they end up having for him. Spoiler alert. Yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting discussion. But but I see that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I was saying earlier about like they're fleshing out this test backstory to kind of fill in some stuff because they're never going to get that explanation they want. Because I feel like you know, Requiem just a couple episodes away. And Rosamond was, uh, the idea was he was going to be the voice, at least in that. And then that fell through too. So I, I think at that point they were like, you know what? He's never coming back. We just got to wrap, wrap this up. Like they, they probably figured like it's, un, it's untenable. Like we can't just having these mm-hmm. headless Superman cameos 
forever in our movies and TV shows. You know what I mean? Like it's the same thing. Like it, they were like they decided they had to do something definitive and move on from it. And I've said this before on record, and we'll see how it holds up. But like season nine, maybe my favorite season is so good. And ironically, that's the one hundred percent Luther free season. Uh, also free of another person that we're going to talk about more <laughs> in this true. episode. Uh, yeah, unfortunately we have one more scene. Um, and let me, have... I've, I've been, I've been kind of trashing this a little bit today. I was all about Clark and Lana up until probably season seven, like the season seven, having it wrap up there, having them actually get to be their relationship and know the secret and interact. Some great scenes there. I liked that. I just don't like that it came back romantically. I would have been fine with, I said it earlier, I would have been fine with her coming back if it was as a friend, as someone who knows you can trust, just not the romantic derailment of Lois and Clark. You know, Chris, you were talking so hard about how this could have been the last scene or this could have been the last scene or this could have been the last scene. Uh, we almost skipped a scene, the wrap up with Dan Turpin and his family, actually. Oh, right. <laughs> The whole point of this episode, right? So uh, Clark, he's he's back at Dan Turpin's place. Uh, his, his son is running around dressed up, and Clark's like, well, are you the Green Arrow? He's like, no, I'm Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a joke, but it was actually serious. Yeah, he's like, he's a bad... Uh, people think he's a bad guy, but he isn't, right? Ties together with what's going on there. Um, they're doing an inquest, right? Dan Turpin's going to be cleared. Um, but he, you know, he asks him... But see, and this and this leads to the lot of scene, right? This scene, right? Because he asked him about like your your home life balance, right? And that's kind of the thing you were getting at, right? Yeah. How do you do what you do, knowing that you're putting your wife and kid through this, like that they might you know, never have you come home to them? Mm. Do you have someone like that, Clark? Someone who makes it all worth it? Yeah, she's in Star City right now, looking up for her brother-in-law, <laughs> her cousin-in-law, right? Nope, not her. Somebody else. Um, but this is much like. Much like Maxima earlier in the season, I'm like, oh, this is a character that you bring back, like Dan Turpin. Like, these are comic characters you're introducing. Great. Bring them back later. I mean, Maxima, if, if he doesn't come back, okay, whatever, right? But mm-hmm. you kind of, the door was open there. You could have done something else. Dan Turpin absolutely should come back. Like, how many crime scenes are they at? Right? Oh, I have, I, have a, I have a contact in the police department, my buddy Dan Turpin. Like, how many times could that have been mentioned? I don't think this guy's mentioned at all the rest of the show, Chris. And we'll have to keep our ears open, but I don't think he is. I don't think so either. What a waste. Uh, like, I, like, I this guy didn't blow me away. Like I wasn't like, oh God, we got to see more of this guy or whatever. Like the the story was cool. I, I understand the point of it. Actor was fine. Like, But there's nothing like begging to revisit this guy. But knowing that he's a character in the comic books in the future, I was like, well, absolutely. You would bring it back. And it's just so odd that he was never even mentioned. Same with Maggie Sawyer. <laughs> like if next time John Jones shows up, right? Have Dan Turpin with him. They're partners now, right? Yeah, it fits. It falls in line perfectly the way this episode's set up. And definitely get Maggie Sawyer back to your point too. Like get all these people back. I don't, I don't understand it, but, but so this is what through this conversation with Dan Turpin, Clark decides that, you know what? Maybe he can have it all after all. Yeah. Just like when he was 14. Yeah. He goes to the talent. She's working the coffee machine there. He's like, Oh, it's, it's like we're 14 again. I do like her line where he's like, oh, I couldn't sleep. She goes, so you thought you'd get some coffee. That's funny. Yeah. A lot of Lana, Lana's dialogue this episode is very witty. 
with with Tess with Clark. That's because uh, Chloe's not all here. The they've just they've switched. They've they've crossed Chloe out of and the script, she and they've make Lana. pop culture references. <laughs> That's the key. How is Lana have better dialogue than Chloe this episode, Chris? Oh my, that you know that's what it was. Chloe was just in the one scene, so she they crammed Chloe's everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, but this is this is you know the um remember the season ten trailer for Smallville, where like with the song from uh, I call it the song from Moulin Rouge, but you know there was a boy, right? All that. This dialogue is in there. Right, she's like Clark. The world needs you. He's like, what about what we need? Right, mm-hmm. and that's this scene where it's like, you know what? Forget all that. Let's get back together, and they kiss, and it's like, what am I in season two now of Smallville? <laughs> I like that. Why did you do this show? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like a lot about a lot about Lois Lane is she needs Clark, like she needs him, but she also doesn't need him as much like she needs him in a way <laughs> i'm not making sense here but she needs him in a way that they that they make each other better and like she could go off and do her own thing and not be dependent on him but also she internally is dependent they have that relationship lana has always been i need everything for me like like secrets and you can't keep secrets from me i deserve to know as much as you be involved in as much as you but then to that point she doesn't support when they're together she's not supportive of clark she's kind of toxic in, in reality for it and then here he he's trying to give up his sacrifice for the greater good so he can have a little bit with lana but she knows it's never going to be what she needs out of it and let's not forget her objective here is to get a superpowered suit so they can be equals that's the thing right. Lana and this is this is this Next episode, power goes way into that territory about like what her motivations are, but her thinking them being equals is like, oh, we're both superheroes. I'm like, no, you can be equals and not be that. I mean, Lois and Clark are equals, but they're different, right? And that's fine. That's good actually <laughs> that they're not exactly the same. And that Lana misunderstands that she she thinks that oh, the reason all this stuff didn't work before is that we weren't we both didn't have superpowers. Like, no, that's not the reason. And that's what I was hoping for. That's what's so disappointing about season eight, bringing her back. Let's have a mature conversation and understanding of why we didn't work and we were young love, but we're not those people anymore and let's move on with our lives and, you know, we can still be supportive of each other, but whatever. That that's that should be the lesson of a show about coming of age and growing up, right? But they totally miffed on that. And then, of course, we get what we get where she becomes kryptonite at the end and that's the only reason they're not together. And we'll get there, but it's like... They mishandled her on every possible way in these these last two or three episodes she was in, unfortunately. And and all it does is is add detriment to Clark's character for the pushing up of hers. Like she becomes a superhero from this, as we see in <laughs> season eleven comics. She's uh, well, I don't even remember. She has she's in like Africa and she has a name, like a superhero esque name. No, I don't think it's that. I think it's like the. No, the, I think it's Valkyrie, uh, man. Is it? I thought yeah. she was like like the angel of the night or something like that. I, I, I think that, I mean, the title of that comic book miniseries was Valkyrie. So that's why I think that's what her name is. <laughs> but Anyways, but <laughs> <laughs> everything is to make Lana better and more powerful and stronger, but it essentially takes away from Clark's character because he 
the only reason he's not with her is kryptonite not lois which they've they've, they've already gotten to that point in this yeah. season a couple episodes ago <laughs> but you know i i never thought that we'd be back here in the towel and, and have clark and lana kissing like halfway through the season eight of small right never say never <laughs> Lonnie even says, you say that like it's a good thing that they're 14 again. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment, right? And you're right. Clark does say here, he's like, all I've done the last year is sacrifice myself and everything that I love. I'm like, the last year? Maybe like six months. I think we're rounding up, Clark, to make your point. But I don't know. We, he had shown so much maturity. But he's also should... not really sacrificing everything. He's got a job. He's dedicated to the job. And we we know from side commentary and stuff he's doing a lot with lois a lot of reporter work mm-hmm. that's not sacrificing yourself for the greater good he used to sit across from this woman their love with each other everything <laughs> Let's be real clark he sacrificed uh chloe's knowledge of his his <laughs> secret i don't think chloe ever knows that clark had her memory erased well like lana said in Bride, it's probably for the best because she'd be mad. I would never forgive you for that. But you know, you know what, Small? I never forgive you for this, for getting Clark and Lana back together at the end of this episode. And the worst is yet to come. Jones is fighting for his life. I'm not going to let whoever did this hide behind their badge. Clark Kent, you're under arrest for the attempted murder of Detective Jones. Smallville, all new episode this Thursday at 8, 7 Central. Bulletproof got a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. And Neil Bailey... From the Superman homepage, give it a one out of five. A lot of it having to do with Lana, of course. But Chris, on the letter grade scale, what would you give Bulletproof? Well, uh, I had this on the list of my top ten favorite episodes a while back when you asked for some input on that. Oh, <laughs> we wow. Made our list. Okay, okay. I thoroughly enjoyed the comic book references, uh, Turpin, Hamilton, uh, just all of it. Um, I enjoyed Clark doing things not necessarily with his powers, but of course everyone likes to see some super saves too. I think the Tess storyline is great too. I love the idea that Lex would do this to her and be nefarious that she finds out this way and it's kind of a turning Mm -hmm. point. I'm going to give it a B plus. I th- I enjoyed it. The Lana stuff. Trying not to judge on what's going to come. Just based on this episode alone. That's fair. I'm going to give it a B minus. Uh, so appropriately bulletproof gets an average of a B from the two of us. I you know there's some good stuff in here. Again, uh, the attempt to tackle a real world issue uh is admirable but the execution is flawed especially just some of the terminology uh they have chose to use back then and, and what it especially means today you can't help but have your antenna out for that sort of thing uh but overall f- enjoyable episode again the comic book factors i mean you're bringing in dan turpin you're bringing in dr hamilton like thank god dr hamilton gets more play than Dan Turpin here because Dr. Hampton, he's like I said, he's got like four lines or something. Right. And then he's gone. But I thank God they bring him back longer. What a waste he would have been. 
There must be yeah. two. Uh, I mean, I'm, I still like the first Dr. Hamilton because I love Joe Morton. I mean, who doesn't? Uh, Silas Stone from Justice League. Fantastic. Playing the same guy, always building cyborgs and <laughs> dabbling in technology he, he shouldn't be. But, uh, but no, some good stuff there. And yeah, the test stuff is good. Uh, they're doing the best they can with what they have to work with. They don't have access to Michael Russell. They don't have access to Lex Luthor. So they're doing the best they can. Her stuff with Lana is actually pretty interesting, uh, I, I think. And and then Lana being, you know, seeing herself in tests and kind of setting her on a better path. That's great. An episode like this, I guess, would somewhat be, I don't want to use the word filler because there are some main storylines that get driven through, but it's not like the A plot of the series of the season with Doomsday. Uh, you're missing a lot of your main characters like Jimmy and Lois and Doomsday. But for what it does, it's not it's not egregious in that it's filler. Yeah, and as I said off the top, John Jones is here, Phil Morris. Love him. Uh, criminally underused <laughs> over the course of this series. So there you go. Uh, a B minus for me, a B plus from you. Let's go to the tally board. We have a plus one for our blue shirt, red jacket. That brings us to 83. We have a plus one for episode title set in episode bulletproof. That brings us to 66. And we have a plus one for hospital visit for Detective John Jones. That brings us to 123. Bechtel test. We have some great uh, dialogue scenes here between Tess and Lana, but they're all about Lex. So Bechtel tests fail there. All right, Chris. Well, a lot of fun talking about this episode of Smallville with you. If people want to find you out there online, where can they find you? Thanks for having me. It's always enjoyable to be here on Smallville, talking Smallville, but I talk a lot of Star Wars over on Always Hold On to Star Wars. Check me out there. My buddy Kev and Joey. Yes, Always Star Wars with uh, what, one two middle S's? S. <laughs> one middle S. The one middle S. That's the name. <laughs> I love how so far we've always been, we've been able to make it work through everything on the network so far. Yep. Do not fail our pod with no S's. <laughs> May the pod be with you. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll be back next time talking about Power, a.k.a. Street Fighter, the legend of Lana Lang. But until then, always hold on to Smallville. Hold On to Smallville is part of the Always Hold On To network of podcasts and brought to you by listeners like you. Chris Fuchs, Gavante Chillis, Darren Kirscht, Joey Deanberg, JJ Hodges, DJ Dewina, Isaiah Goodridge, Forrest Yesness, Corey Moore, Nathan Rothatcher, Thomas Navin, Andrew Parker, Adam Sullins, Mark Itzfoppen, Patricia Carrillo, Michael Hartford, Jim Crawford, Alex Ramsey, Megan Rich, Rui Humphrey, Alex Hamilton, Matt Douglas, Nathan McKenzie, Jason Skipper, Steve Rogers, Atif Sheik, Molly Ficarella, John Curcio, Dylan D'Antonio, James Lee, Joe Michael, Jason Davis, Jacob Stevenart, Dana Bias, Crystal Dudgeon, Tate Tay, Nick Ryan Magdoza, Eddie Bissell, Jim Thomas, Nicholas Fansler, Clunk Kant, John Lloyd, Stephanie Ronsley, John Long, Jim Mason, Ruth Ann Cruz, Nicholas Coso, Jared Gibbs, Anthony Anderson, Jasmine McGilley, Keith Falls, Rob O'Connor, James Hart, 
Anthony Desiato, Crystal Cross, Jake C., and John Schweitzer. Thank you so much to all these patrons. And you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash alwaysmallville with one S. Hope to see you there. Always Well Into Smallville's theme music is by Lance Laster, and our podcast art is by Tom Gerke. You can follow us on Twitter at alwaysmallville with one S. You can find us on Facebook at Always Hold On To Smallville, and you can send us an email at alwaysmallville at gmail.com, once again, with one S. Thanks for listening.